What's the mug? It's Brian from Family Guy. That's a, uh, I'm allergic to stupid people at chew. <laughs> there you go. See my one. I see the Val- picture. Valentine's mug from. <laughs> from <laughs> what Ashling. does it say? What does it say? No? <laughs> you're a dickhead, but you're my dickhead. Now, big, big thanks for hitting the play button or clicking the link or asking your smart speaker to play us. This is Straight Talking Mental Health, where we tackle everyday mental health issues. My name is Peter Dunn and his name is... Alan Clark. There you go. Now, this week, we are straight talking addiction. Later on, you're going to hear from a man who's been through enough to fill three lifetimes and he's only 21 years old. Connor Harris, a.k.a. Connor from TV's Davies Toughest Team. We want to talk to him about his addiction issues, drugs, the younger generation and the impact on him being on national television. Um, but before we go any further, everybody knows what our goal is here on Straight Talking Mental Health. We want to reach as many people as possible and we can't do that without you. So you can help by following us on social media, on Twitter at STRA Talking Pod. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Click stmhpodcast.com. That's our cool website. Share the pages and the podcast and your social media and you can help us reach more people and the more we can reach, the more we can help. Um, it's amazing the response we get from people mm. telling us about all their episodes and you know how it's helped them, but also about the people that have been on with us and how they relate to their story. Yeah, yeah. And that's it because they're, I mean, the reason the podcast works is because they're human problems. Mm. You know, it's and that's why people relate. People relate to people. Yeah. Mm. We had a bit of correspondence actually before. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. You're not. You're, you're not right there. Yeah, I've seen a the, couple of them. Yeah. Did you log into Instagram? Did you? Uh, I did actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the first fucking notification <laughs> I've got of someone logging in from Mullingar. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the fucking Instagram. I, I have to get stuck into Instagram more. I don't really do it. You know. So I must. Do. Emer's Emer's mad for the Instagram. Yeah. All, no, the, all the kids are. All the kids just did wreck your head, huh? Oh, it's underground. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to get. You. I have an Instagram account since like 2012 or something. Yeah, yeah. So I must, yeah, I must take it up for the crack. Anyway, you've got some correspondence. I have, yeah. So, um, username Tuna Pasta. <laughs> what a cool name. Yeah, I'm not sure that's your real name, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's the handle. Uh, have been listening to your podcast for the last week while I've been trying to get out of a dark place. A few people who are close to me also suffer with various mental health issues and listening to your podcast has not only helped to lift the shame and self-loathing that can come with mental health issues, it's helped me understand myself more and my loved ones. Someone I've been seeing has bipolar and I've been experiencing their highs and lows and not knowing exactly how to deal with it. Listening to your episode helped me a lot to understand them. That was Pam, yeah, Pam on bipolar. Oh yeah. The next I listen to will be your recent and borderline personality disorder. That was Sean which my older sister has just been diagnosed with. Not to mention I get to have a laugh every episode. I love the light chats that you start the episodes off with before going into the deep shit. Oh, and your fantastic Irish accents. (laughs) Makes everything you say ten times more hilarious. Thank you for your service. Coming from Australia. Ah, that's amazing. All the way from Australia. <laughs> the you, accent, get, you, man. you get tickled when somebody mentions your accent. You know that? I notice that every every time somebody mentions Irish accent, you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, you just little I, girly like, giggle. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but the, the, the thing for me is, it's people listening around the world. Yeah, yeah. Like, I never thought, I never considered that. Mm. And how, how, like, there's Australia, you know, that's, they're always high in our stats and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that just, I just like, 
just two Irish lads fucking having the chat, having the crack, mm. talking about mental health, and there it is resonating with someone in Australia. And you know yourself when you hear somebody uh, putting on an Irish accent and you go, ah, that's the jiggery pokey, oh, bunny wackery. Oh, Laura, the depression and the anxiety. And potatoes, potatoes. I remember, I remember being in Burnley years ago. Uh, we've got mates in Burnley and, uh, and we went to a few drinks in a pub. Like, oh, hi guys. And it's like, oh, yeah, where are you from? Uh, or from Ireland. Oh, Ireland. And they all started going, there's a bomb in the building. There's a bomb in the building. <laughs> that was their impression of an Irish person. Was, there's a bomb in the building. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> Racist or having the crack. Uh, yeah, see, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with somebody laughing at uh, yeah, stereotypical yeah. Irish. The majority of it Irish doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I think it's funny, yeah. but, yeah. you know... Um, yeah, but then again, I'll get into it with Royals in a few minutes. But uh, right. yeah, yeah, there you go. So now we, your lovely Irish accents. Fair play yeah. to you. That is Thanks brilliant. Very Thanks much. very much for that. Yeah. Um, uh, it's the abuse I get off my own fucking girlfriend about it. Like, but you know, <laughs> no harm, no harm. <laughs> Thirty-three. Thirty to fuck off. Thirty-three. <laughs> yeah. She slags me and mouth because I don't, you know, don't pronounce the th. Your th's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shut so we've come to start smell, spelling mouth in Texas M-O-U M-O-U <laughs> shut your mouth it's like the term um, you know uh, attaboy yeah, you know it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a term it's a term we use here but we don't pronounce it like that we kind of shortened especially in the Midlands to go uh, a boy a boy Tommy a boy Tommy you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But with, with with nicknames being so weird, imagine if you had a nickname Polar. A bipolar. Bipolar. <laughs> ah. Bipolar. You want a man that lad. Like Stephen O of uh, Braveheart. <laughs> David um, and he was Scottish. Not, not everyone knows that. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah. I, I worked with Dave Lahara when I did a bit of extra work on the Tudors. Oh, David very and good. Stephen, and, and we were having a chat uh, in between. And he was talking about working on Braveheart, and uh, he says it was mad because all the Scottish mates were playing Irish lads, and all the Irish lads like Brendan Gleeson were playing Scottish lads. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> he's, the, he's the famous Irish lad in the film, and he's fucking Scottish. <laughs> did you ever see the movie uh, Inside I'm Laughing? Two guys in a wheelchair. It's a few years old. It's an Irish, uh, yeah, movie, yeah, but it's yeah, kind of like familiar. it's kind of like on the lines of Adam and Paul. Yeah, you know, yeah two yeah, guys yeah. who who need I've help. Seen it. That's that's really old, I think. That's a good few years old, and yeah. they to go collect them for charity, and they have the bucket in the lap there on. I think it's on like Stephen's Green and that, and they just get the bucket and go off in the session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Two thousand and four. But the two guys who starred in that, are f- incredible actors. Like, brilliant, brilliant roles. They're Scottish, the two of them. But they nailed the accent. They nailed the Irish accent. It wasn't the yeah, paddy, yeah, whackery, yeah. jiggery, pokery thing we were talking about. They, but they absolutely nailed it. Um, anyway, yeah, let's get on to a little bit more correspondence. Alan is yeah, go, busy go Googling, there, you? Googling yeah, it's movies. James McAvoy, man. <laughs> Who's, is James McAvoy? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he nailed that accent. Fair yeah. play to him. 
Yeah. Um, Larkin got in touch and he said, Hi guys, recently came across the podcast and I'm listening to the episode about cannabis-induced psychosis with Emer O'Leary. Very interesting, he said. I have experience with psychosis and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder a few years back. So there you go, there's people reacting to people, you know. Mm-hmm. And a comment we got on Apple Podcast, I think it was a few weeks ago, completely missed it. Um, said I've suffered throughout this lockdown with two family bereavements and losing my job struggling right now and this podcast is helping me massively especially the episode on suicide made me think differently about the subject thank you and that's from I I can't pronounce his name properly and I do apologise I think it's uh, Mokstas Mokstas from Great Britain anyways so that's that's incredible to hear that's you fun. know so thank you so much for getting in touch and of course if you would like to get in touch as always we'd love to hear from you hello at stmhpodcast.com you can send us an email or you can get in touch with us on Twitter we're on Instagram we're on Facebook as well um, well we have a look at some stats by the way you were talking yeah, about stats there a minute ago yeah. um, for February let's give you let's give you the list of countries who have listened to us in February okay so here we go Ireland United Kingdom United States Australia Canada India, New Zealand, Romania, Italy, Czech Republic, Germany, Netherlands, Sweden, Finland, France, Spain, Kuwait. That's a new one. Austria, Belgium, Philippines, Singapore, Tunisia, South Africa, Poland, Taiwan, Russia, Denmark, Norway, Mexico, Greece, Costa Rica, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Turkey, Morocco, Lithuania, Isle of Man. That's a first. There you go. Isle of Man. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Croatia, Egypt, Guatemala, Faroe Islands, Algeria, Chile, Switzerland, Brazil, Bulgaria, Vietnam. Wow. That's that's incredible. (laughs) UK is ahead at the moment. You're right. For the month of March, UK, we have more listeners from the UK. From yeah, yeah. than anywhere else that's amazing oh, wow. Ireland, the fuck. come on the fuck. <laughs> come on Ireland <laughs> uh, yeah oh, that's 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 amazing isn't it absolutely amazing yeah. I'm always baffled by them you know as you were saying yeah, that's what I'm saying like, you, you're slagging with the accent thing but like you know even that the, the comment on iTunes and stuff like you know someone in someone in the UK someone in Australia mm-hmm. someone power the internet man mm. power the internet for yeah, better or for worse absolutely um, no, it's incredible. It's incredible. You know, we thousands and thousands and thousands of people have listened to this, and it's uh, it just floors me complete. Like yeah. if you were to get, I know we said it before, if you'd get everybody who listened to our podcast and put them in front of you, you'd go, shit, this has to be an open air festival. Like, you know, <laughs> it's incredible. It's not like little pub somewhere. It's open air festival. You know? yeah, yeah, which hopefully we will see open air festivals very soon. But, uh, holding out for next year. Not, holding not out for this year. year. Yeah, no. I'm fully, I'm waiting on my uh, cancellation email about the Dermot Kennedy gig in June that was cancelled from oh, last year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. Like, I'm not fucking cancelling it. You fuckers can cancel it because I want me back there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. To rescheduled to next year. Yeah, Jesus. Um, have you watched any you of those play that gigs? waiting game, don't you? It's like, it's like a game of chicken. Like, yeah. I'm not cancelling. You fucking cancel. I'm not cancelling. <laughs> and funny enough, actually, uh, we were supposed to go to Trebalgan. That was cancelled on us in the uh, end of May. <laughs> kind of knew it was going to happen. We said, yeah, it, we'll yeah. get a full refund. We'll try it anyways. But the place we have booked in July is now a vaccination centre. So, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll be going there. So we'll- I don't know how bad it is, man. Actually, it just reminded me. I dreamed about trying to get the vaccine last night. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, how fucking bad it is. <laughs> Not that it'll really make any difference once you get it. You still have to... to I'd, I'd like to be able to travel. I'd love oh, to be yeah. able to... First thing I want to do is I want to go from and see my daughter. Um, mm. You know, so anything like that. 
just mm. a fucking oh man just to do fucking something like this yeah. is just fucking hell like a lot of people and I know you said it before a couple of times but a lot of people are really 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 feeling it now yeah. you know like yeah. it's it's uh, yeah it's it's having a big impact on people a lot of people fed up but, you know I, I don't need to tell whoever's listening to this because you're yeah. obviously fed up as well you know but yeah, yeah. it is it's, it's hitting everybody very 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 hard and look we won't see the result of this for a long time you know the the knock on effect yeah um, yeah yeah of COVID not the, the physical damage but the, the psychological damage what it'll mm. do to people and I did read an article recently about having to readjust to society you know yeah. and it's funny like I was in I was in Doomy shopping on Sunday and there was two couples and they were stopping they were talking and they were kind of blocking the aisle and there was people kind of walking up and down as well and I was going Actually, mm. how am I going to get past these and all of a sudden it occurred to me fuck there's a load of people here and it was weird <laughs> You know what I mean? And I kind of felt a bit claustrophobic going, oh, fuck, do I need to get mm. out of here or what? You know mm. what I mean? It's weird, isn't it? It's fucking scary. You know? I even but, avoid myself stepping, you know, stepping aside. I see, meet people on the footpath and stuff like that. Like, you know, mm. taking a wider berth. Yeah. 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 I've, actually, do you, know what I've, do you know what I've done a few times? People have walked past me. Sometimes I've actually held my breath. As the walk no arms. Past. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fucking... Mm. I passed I passed a girl uh, today well a woman and uh, I should have fucking held me breath I don't know what she was stopped but I don't know what perfume she was wearing but I'm not joking when I say I could smell her 30 feet down, down mm. like, <laughs> after yeah, I walked yeah. past her I was like Jesus love you I must have fucking bathed in that this morning <laughs> but I kind of what really hit me was uh, with the cold weather and people are breathing out you can obviously see, yeah, can how see far it. that travels yeah wow yeah, you know yeah. what I mean and uh, on the football field as well um, you know, with the cold weather, you're watching a match mm-hmm. and you're seeing, you're just seeing clouds around from people breathing out, you know. So, yeah. Wow. You know. Yeah, as I said, the long-term effects of this now. Uh, I'm sort of worried of, of children and particularly, more more so to particularly children of uh, anxious parents and stuff. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, they'll absorb that like. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the long-term well. impact that it'll have on them. Yeah. You know, as, as you said, as we step into a Back into the world. Mm. Yeah, like you, you look at even um, you know parents who would be let's say a little bit OCD about yeah, cleanliness. Yeah. Let's yeah, say yeah, yeah. you know, and you see them with kids as well. You know, you've your child sitting down. Uh, mm. In a, when we were able to go into cafes, and you see them eating chocolate, and the parents going straight up, ah, your hands are covered in chocolate, you're covered in chocolate, yeah. and they're wiping them with baby wipes, wiping their mouth, yeah. wiping their hands. Yep. You know, yep. and in no time that child will be eating a bar of chocolate, looking at their own hands, going ah no, my yeah. hand. You know, so. Like that, the habits of COVID will be passed on to the kids and not necessarily the good habits, the bad yeah. habits as well, yeah. you know. Uh, probably the reluctance to see people as well, you know. Yeah, and we need like human contact, but there will yeah. be a reluctance to um, to meet up with people. Like, you can, can you kind of foresee yourself, you know, as things do, like that, you know, being at a gig or being at a match. You know, how long do you think it'll take for it to be, oh... You yeah. know, to fucking get rid of that. Oh, Jeez, years. A lot of people, no one's wearing masks. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. 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 Years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's something I'll always be conscious of. Mm. You know, um, especially in around flu season, the cold weather and that. You know what I mean? 
So if this hasn't told us about better hygiene, then I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can we take anything from it? You know what I mean? As in, you know, coughing, sneezing, staying away from groups and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know? I've seen on one of the science pages I follow, I've seen, uh, seen a meme there the other day. I was like, even after COVID, can we please agree not to blow out the candles on birthday cakes? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, covered in spit yeah. who wants a slice oh yeah I'll take a big bit <laughs> stuff like that you'd never never think of yeah yeah, yeah you know, really. uh, no you're okay <laughs> can you can you blow them candles out with a hair dryer or something <laughs> get electric candles and just kind of I know wave at them or something a lighter you know? and just take your finger off <laughs> yeah. I tell you actually there's a good business idea for anybody not as lazy as us come up with candles you don't have to blow out on a birthday cake there you go. COVID do, you know, do you know what? Do you know how you would sell them? Do you know how you sell them to the likes of Emer? App. <laughs> yeah. You press a button on your phone, and, and the fucking candles go out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Someone's going to make a fucking fortune. I know, and you're you're going to have to give us credit, guys. Yeah, I tell yeah. you, Elon Musk will have his uh, candles, <laughs> and we'll be going. You prick, Elon! <laughs> you prick. And he fucks off on his rocket to Mars. Yeah, so we and can't it explodes. Yeah. And we'll yeah, be laughing. Crash landed another one there, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh well. Um, speaking of shopping the other day, um, did you ever try and race against uh, the cashier when you're doing your shopping? <laughs> did you ever do that? You are. If you're in Lidl or Aldi, you're fucked. Yeah, like you're you're waiting for them and you're going, yeah, right, pop in here, bag yeah, here. Yeah. You know, you can't mix the fire lighters with the, the frozen chicken or yeah, whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, you try and get done before they... Actually, I heard a good a good hack is if you're trying to do that, put your shopping on the conveyor belt, but leave a gap in between your shopping <laughs> <laughs> so that'll give you a little bit of time you know but, yeah, uh, yeah. but funny enough I was in Dunn's as I was saying to you uh, doing my shopping on Sunday in Dunn's stores of course Dunn's stores don't give a shit how long you take whatever to pack your bag yeah, but yeah. I found myself going ha, 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 trying to pack stuff <laughs> really really quickly and then I thought oh I don't have to do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was nearly like I was in an abusive relationship with my own shopping, my own <laughs> supermarket. Where, where's your Dunn's Mullingar, is it? Mm-hmm. I, I, the one in Uber, there's a lot of older women on the tills. Probably people who work there years. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, they're not going to be firing the match. <laughs> yeah. They're happy out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they, they don't have chats. targets to reach. While in <laughs> yeah. Little and Aldi, have targets that's it. to reach. Like their yeah, yeah. their numbers are counted. Like Absolutely, yeah. Like that, yeah. So uh, that's why they make the the back of the uh, the checkout really really small. So you have to go over to the bench and pack them. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, I never buy enough, so I'm only ever buying for one. Really, so it's like yeah, I'm man. fucking packing it here, motherfucker. I, I'm spending a hundred quid a week on shopping, hands down, <laughs> <Yeah>. hands down. <laughs> um, and I. I Fucking Ashling, I, I I only had the conversation where it's like I do not know how you survive. Her, like I went to take a photograph of her of her cereal press the other day. It's mm. fucking bulging, like it's like it's like yeah, I don't really eat cereal. I was like clearly she does, <laughs> she, does, she does the online shopping and it's just repeat order, repeat order. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. like it's like. Fucking as they're coming to you to buy stuff. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, like hundreds. Of, I'm like, oh my God. Black market, supermarket, and the back garden. You know, what do you want? Do you want to hook up with the Weedabix? Come on, come on. Beat around the back. She's going to hear this now and give out fucking. Give out the shade to me. It's a lot worse about her, but I won't. Speaking of saying worse things. Smiles and Royals. What have you got for me? Smiles and Royals, yeah. It's, oh man, my fucking head's a bit shook this morning. Why? 
uh, I just I clicked into Twitter there this morning. I'd alluded to it uh, a couple mm-hmm. of times um, of you know possibly being on the spectrum and stuff like that. And I have a couple of adult clients that have been diagnosed with being on the spectrum and stuff like that. And what you mean being on the spectrum? Autism. Okay. Being a being a little bit autistic. Uh, uh, you or yeah, me. Okay. Yeah. And um, did you mention that before? Yeah, it's kind of, I mentioned around sensory issues, stuff like that. Oh, with and, food. Uh, yeah, 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 okay. Sound yeah. and stuff like that. And someone had retweeted onto our timeline, and it was like, if you keep wondering if you're autistic or have ADHD, remember that neurotypicals don't ever question it. They just know they aren't. If you keep going back to it and relating to it, then you're probably on the right path. Mm. Did that fucking shock me this morning, man? Why? I don't know. It just uh, kind of made me more conscious of maybe maybe getting diagnosed, going going to speak to someone around the uh, around the diagnosis and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, not that we may. I actually, do you know, I I prefer a diagnosis because uh, it'd be like to know well stuff that I've been conscious of. It's not just because I'm fucking weird. <laughs> it's <laughs> there's you know it's it's, it's there typical. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just the hardwiring in my brain. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna play to you. Yeah. yeah, give serious consideration into. Well, I'm not going to give serious consideration. I'm going to do it. I'm going mm. to going to research it and have a look and see what it is. Yeah, but that fucking tweet, man, it shook me this morning. Mm. I was like, oh fuck. I was like, have you ever taught you're on the spectrum? Um, do you know what? I, I remember laughing about this now, but maybe maybe it's true. I often thought maybe of a touch of ADHD mm. because I'm I'm a procrastinator. Mm. I hop from one thing to another to another and I was like, oh, this, oh, this. You know what I mean? Oh, what? A video from Richard Pryor from 1971? Yes. Everybody else can fuck off right now. You know? I just find I just hop from, I, I, I find it difficult to focus. And I don't know mm. if that's ADHD or what, but yeah. I know we got an email last week saying that the, um, the HSE don't diagnose adults. Do you remember that? That's right, uh, yeah. with ADHD or something. Yeah, like that, so. or the HSE test don't them do or, fucking shit. Yeah, well, yeah, there's another episode. <laughs> but I, yeah, I often thought, yeah. like, or do I just need to kind of focus a bit more? Yeah, you know? yeah. Focus. Because I, but, but there's times, like, you know, because of the work I do and everything, where I'll go, oh, that's brilliant. I have to drop everything and do that now. Or that's a great <laughs> idea. We have to work on this now while it's a hot topic or something you know yeah, what I mean or we have yeah. to jump on it so I'm in another way I'm kind of afraid that if I if I try and treat it that I won't be as creative as my job requires me to be yeah, you know I what I mean well, I don't know if you treat it yeah I mean because I mean if it's not having a negative impact on your life I mean you're, you're usually grand mm. you know for me it's just kind of to have the information and I've seen a lot of parents you know I've uh, the masters is in child adolescent I work a lot with adolescents and I'd see a couple of uh, particularly because autism particularly hugely hugely disproportionate of how uh, of men to uh, male to female um, and you know a few clients that have had a chat with the parents going you know, has there ever been any diagnosis and you kind of spot a few things and and you, you see this uh, they kind of go two ways one is like no don't want to know it doesn't matter I don't want them being labelled okay um, yeah. you know that they're afraid of the label and then others are going well, no, because it'd be nice to have the information and then if supports are needed, we yeah. can get the supports because there has been uh, an official diagnosis and stuff like that. So mm. that's the sort of two, the shift between the two of them. Don't want the label. No, don't want to know. Doesn't matter. And mm. well, it'd be good to have the information. I'm kind of, be good to have the information. It'd be good to know because 
you you know if you're on the spectrum or whatever you learn differently there's no point learning mm, this way mm, when you can learn mm. better the other way yeah you know what i mean yeah. um and that's why there's so many so many kids nowadays who want to have perfectly normal lives who are on the spectrum because yeah, they're treated yeah. properly yeah you know, they're yeah, treated yeah. you know they're taught the the way they're supposed to be taught the way they can learn as mm. opposed to do this or you're stupid which is a yeah, very yeah. much when we were in school it was a case oh, of absolutely. if you can't oh, sit down and read slow. a book or do yeah go down there go sleep go sleep in the back of class he's a bit slow that lad yeah, yeah. sure many so people you know many people have you heard who are considered stupid in school are just brilliant at their trade yeah you know yeah, yeah. you don't uh, what was it what was the great saying you don't judge a fish on its ability to climb, to a, climb tree. a tree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. You know what I mean? We all learn differently. And I, I, I get a lot from parents and stuff like, you know, the, the, the child doesn't want to go to school, there's no interest in school. And I'd say, like, do you remember when we were younger? Like, you know, mm. you got the third year and then, you know, it was it was okay, it was acceptable to go off and do an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Now it was like, you have to get to the search, you have to go to college, you have to do, you know, you have to do this. It's like, for some people, like, like you said, just... That academic learning, the, the the scholastic way of being, just isn't for them. Mm-hmm. But they're like, no, no, fucking get you in here now. You're gonna fucking yeah. do it the way we want you to do it. And square peg, round hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's it. Look, at the end of the day, bloody happiness matters. It's not, you know, uh, getting a lot of money, uh, becoming a doctor. Mm. You know what I mean? Just because the family wants you to be. You know, it's it's all about happiness. If you are happy working in Dunn stores or Aldi, you're happy. You're happy being a postman, postwoman. You're happy. Yeah. You're happy yeah. being a fucking uh, a rocket scientist for Elon Musk. <laughs> Go for it. You know what I mean? You might be happy today, but, you know, I'm sure most days you're happy. But you know what I mean? <laughs> and actually, there's a great um, uh, documentary on Netflix called Happy. Did you ever see it? Yes, long time ago. They were yeah. just discussing happiness. But there was a yeah. guy who worked in a burger joint. And he just fucking loved his job cooking burgers all day. <laughs> Brilliant. And Brilliant. he was just so happy to see him and his face was just beaming and he was showing you what he does, how he does it and he's happy. That's the main thing. Mm, Fuck the mm. rest of it. Like, <laughs> you know, there's no point in That's it. getting yourself involved in with a with a big title or initials at the end of your name if you're standing at the edge of the fucking canal ready to toss yourself in. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's so many, so many students who have been sent to college, who have taken their own lives because they don't want to disappoint mommy and daddy because... Yeah, I've, I've, well, you know, I haven't taken you know. I've had a few of them mm-hmm. close to it that have come in to me and I've had to say to them, I've, I've heard your story loads of times. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you're like, not doing it. It's like, yeah, you're fucking, you know, you're doing a course you don't want to do, you feel the pressure and then they, or they might drop out and all of their friends are still in college and then they're left on their own and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that is... Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard for me. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Sorry, was that a rile, was it? No, no, it was just, it just had me wrapping okay. here this morning. That was, that was me checking. Oh, I need to do, <laughs> I need to, uh, what do you call it uh, when you, you kind of apologise for something that was said incorrectly or something? Uh, not a redaction or... Uh, yeah, yeah. Retraction? Yeah, bit yeah, of a retraction. retraction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, got, I got a message off someone I know that listens to the podcast and they said, tell Emer, some girls do like getting dick pics. <laughs> 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 so Emer put out the oh, blanket man. statement last week of, nobody likes dick pics just nobody <laughs> wants to get the dick pics like Emer and I sent Emer the text and I said maybe she just hasn't got the right dick yet <laughs> <laughs> so yes that was an absolute blanket statement on Emer's behalf 
we understand some people do like it. Fair enough, yeah. Before we get a flood of comments, you're not getting that person's number. It's as simple as that. I've seen again, do you remember I said last week of, um, it it popped up on another one of the science pages. Um, The psychology behind unsolicited dick pics is narcissism and Mm. uh, misogyny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's, what that's what I'm saying, lads. Way to be asked. Way to be asked. Not like Emer, where she's like, nobody wants them. Some people do. Just wait until they ask. Are, are, are people who send dick pics not just like online flashers? <laughs> you know, when flashers used to hang <laughs> down that's, the that's canal the line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're now online. <laughs> Why can't you just be normal? Go down the fucking park with a trench coat, like, <laughs> and I'll go down and see you when I want it. <laughs> That's me, Emer. That's me. That's your Emer accent. Actually, that's that's one of my smiles. Listening back to the episode, when, you, when you when you talk to Emer, sometimes you get a Cork accent. Oh yeah, I do. I put that on for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's me, Emer. That was, uh, yeah, that was that's one of my smiles from last week. Uh, mm. What was it? One of the one of the bits where she was saying, or you we were messing, and she was on about the guys with Snickers trousers, <laughs> and you went, "Yeah, Snickers trousers with a fucking cork happened." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's me, Emer. Yeah, you can expect loads of that whenever Emer's mm-hmm. on. Fair enough. <laughs> Love fair that enough. Cork Nothing like, wrong with that. You said the lilt into it. Uh, nothing more cork than saying cork when you're talking about cork although yeah. my, you know, my mum's from Dublin as I said before and as soon as we get past Luke and the accent goes up big time you know, <laughs> just, or you know when she was talking to one of her sisters yeah, because yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the accent gets stronger it's gas yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and they're very same if I go up around me Auntie Annie and stuff like that mm-hmm. the fucking dope starts coming out with me yeah. do you know what I forgot to ask you last week because we had Emer on mm-hmm. um what you thought of having Sean on? What do what you think of? Oh yeah, you know, I forgot about story. that. You forgot yeah, to tell about Sean. Totally That's right, yeah. Sean was talking about borderline personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Some the story. chat with Sean. Yeah, what a story! Like Jesus, God love him. To go through a childhood that he he went to, where his dad constantly, you know, physically abused him, mm. uh, mentally abused him. Like Jesus Christ, man! I mean, you know, growing up. Your parents are your wall, they're your foundation. If you pull them away from you, you're fucking, you're falling flat yeah. in your face. Like, yeah. But to have somebody that you love so much and somebody who you expect to protect you mm. treat you in that way is fucking horrific. Yeah. yeah. But again, you know, when he, he spoke about what his dad was put to by his dad, like that's... That, do you know what? That's what I was going to say. Horrific. I was out for, went out for a walk this morning. I was listening to our, I was just thinking on stuff. And anyway... Uh, um, and what stood out to me from it was like, could you imagine hearing Sean's father's story? Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, fuck, yeah. like, remember he said that the father tried to chop his head off with an axe and then an tried axe, to drown him right. because he couldn't yeah. fucking, like, Jesus. <sighs> yeah. do, you know how, do you know how bad this is though? And I had, I had the thought as, and it was only, I was kind of getting details as Sean was talking. This is not uncommon. Sean's story is not uncommon in Ireland to the point where I was like, Fuck, is he the brother of a client that I've had before? Oh wow. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't know if we know or if he's he, he wasn't though, just to clarify. No, 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 he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. he wasn't. You know, that and that's it. Like I say, like, Jesus Christ, like I've mm. heard this, I've heard stories like this before. And you know, and it might come as a generalization, but particularly rural families, um yeah. it seems to be more prevalent. Mm. 
Yeah, and look, you notice it yourself in school. You know, the um, yeah, well, I did anyways. Yeah. When we moved into secondary school, then all the, the country schools didn't have a secondary school, so they came into town. And yeah, you, yeah. you knew them a mile away. You know, they were kind of, they were sterner, <laughs> they were tougher-faced and everything. You know yeah, what I mean? They were just... Yeah. You know, while us townies were a little bit more kind of chilled out and mm. a little bit more open, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you knew the but country. There is a guys. difference, wasn't it? There was. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I've of had course. this conversation yeah, with yeah. my clients before. Like, there is a difference. You do yeah. spot the, you know, the lads that grew up on the farm and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a big difference between being a townie and even being two miles out the road living yeah. on a farm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, but, you know, again. Uh, it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. But what's the thought behind that? I mean, what's the thought behind walking in a door after being out of the pub and spitting in your child's face and telling you you fucking hate them? Like, what's is is it some weird way of trying to toughen them up or something like that? Or is it, you know? And you often hear people saying, "Oh, if, oh, me dad, oh, me dad is very hard on us. You know, he'd he'd never tell us well done if we did anything right. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, why wouldn't you?" Yeah. Why the fuck wouldn't you? Or is I it is it their way of going, right, well, if you're going to chase success, you're not going to get success until I give you the thumbs up. Or if I'm going to congratulate you for every step you take, are you are you going to be slacking what you do in life? No, I think it's, I think it's just ignorance, man. I, what I would generally see is that kind of treatment decreases as it goes on. So, you know, exactly like Sean said, like of what his father got off his father. You know, I think I think this is just it's just ignorance and not knowing any better that this okay. is the way. You know how after I got a few slaps, never did me any harm. Yeah, you know, yeah. this this kind of this kind of attitude. Yeah. And I think it's you know if when you don't have that well of love to draw from, mm. it's hard to impart it into someone else. True. And you know, as you said it there, uh, if, you know what fucking goes through someone's mind. You know, you open the door, you spit in their face, tell you you hate them. You know, John and Sean had said that his his outlet was down in the pub. Alcohol just unlocks whatever's already there. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it removes the filter. Um, yeah, and, and alcohol and the pub is escapism as well. You're yeah. escaping your house. You're escaping your life. You're down with your mates having the crack. You have to leave there and go home. Then he's obviously going to be very fucking miserable. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, but a fair play to Sean. You know, he's breaking the uh, the, the generational curse, I suppose. Yeah, and do you know what it reminds me of, actually? Do you know that meme that went around? It was... Uh, it was about COVID. It was like all the matchsticks and they were all lit. Yes. And you yes, take yes. one out and it, it doesn't stops. affect the rest of them. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about with, you know, generational trauma. You know, you mm. be the one, mm. you be the one to put the fire out. Yeah. yeah. You know. I'd always, I'd always commend clients of that. I've gone, yeah, and you said fucking no. It ends here. It goes yeah. no further. You know, mm. and that's huge. You know, to be able to do that is absolutely huge. To go against all of your programming. <laughs> Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, you know, and to yeah. go, no, that that wasn't right. That mm-hmm. wasn't right, and I and I'm not going to do it. And so many times, and you know, for parents, it's like, well, I had the best parental role model you could have, my mother or my father, because I just did the exact opposite. Good point. Yeah, yeah but you do draw on the well of your parents as well, and you think, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. what would what would my folks do in this situation, or what mm. what would they do with me in this situation? You know, because you're new to parenthood. <laughs> you yeah, know at some stage yeah. you, you didn't have a fucking clue about parenthood so what do you do you think about your parents and think what Here, they would do you know here's a good one for you now and it's uh, I hope it's not shaming it's just factual um, <laughs> um, put a status up on, on Facebook there the other day 
<laughs> James here the other day. It was last week. So he went back to school this week. He's in school now at the minute. And um, I was in making dinner and he was giving it that, oh, I'm so hungry. How long's dinner going to be? I said, it's not going to be long. I said, it's on there now. Like, you know, I was like, oh, and I keep going on. I was like, me went on about it buddy I know you're hungry it's not going to make the dinner cook any faster yeah yeah so um, I said I said something then I said uh, well I said are you, looking, are you looking forward to going back to school seeing all your friends and he goes I'm looking forward to dinner being ready <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah fuck a little bollocks <laughs> sarcastic fuck yeah, I know yeah but um, here, here it is like and I, I don't laugh I don't give a fuck anyway, but I mean Mac commented on it oh Jesus isn't he great God, if that was you, you would have been eating the dinner off the floor. <laughs> I'm like, there you go. No, you I have yeah. it. Like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, that just shows you, like, yeah. you know, and not not seeing anything wrong with that. Like, it's like, what the fuck are you saying, man? Like, that's fucked up shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> hide that. Delete your fucking comment. <laughs> Bar your mother from Facebook. That's all you can do. Uh, have money best, don't you? <laughs> no, money slagging. How will they know about all the fucking missing dogs really in Sri Lanka, Pete? I know, exactly, yeah. The poor collie who's gone missing in uh, Guatemala. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's true. And sometimes there is a struggle around food with kids. You know what I mean? Like, eat a thing. No. no well, you're not yeah, getting so anything. Be, I want it. You know. That's exactly what happened to me, yeah. You I can't. I before about the, the, the food allergies and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 Food and textures and stuff will make me vomit, like, you know. And I was like, I don't fucking care. You'll eat it till it's gone, this kind of thing. Like, that's I mean, it, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what if I am on the spectrum? And it's like, you were fucking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I wasn't being a fucking little bastard. You had, it's yeah, just, maybe it's sensory issues or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you know yourself there's certain food you don't touch you wouldn't eat you know yeah, what I mean I, yeah. I fucking detest beetroot and if I sat down <laughs> and somebody was forced me to eat beetroot I'd be puking yeah and yeah. you know the, the the standard parent method of shouting at you until you eat it what's that going to do to your head yeah. you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I, I, and that's that's exactly my problem like <laughs> I was having uh, asking her having, we're having lunch or something there one day and she gets out beetroot and tomato and stuff like this and she's asking me do you want this and she has cucumber and all this kind of stuff and she's she's saying to me and she's like no fucking forget I said that like you know and she's like oh yeah the kids would go in there now and they'd, they'd get themselves tomatoes and stuff like that and I was like I'd fucking love to be like your kids. Like, mm. I'd love to go, oh, yeah, and it's stacked with all that. I just can't eat it. It just makes me wretch. It makes me, makes me want to vomit. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not my choice. <laughs> you know, I'd no, love, no, I'd no. Love to eat that stuff. Going, yeah, have yeah. a salad. You know, and yeah, fucking... you don't make the choice to wretch. You know what I mean? Your, yeah, exactly. Your head tells your body no. No, it's yeah, not yeah, coming yeah. here. You know, <laughs> it's like drinking pudding. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> While your your head is saying go, 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 your stomach is going nope, 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 I nope, nope, nope. Remember, <laughs> I remember when we were younger, teenagers, in the late teenagers. I never drank until it was you know. For anybody who doesn't know, pudding is like the strongest thing you can ever drink. Like it's, it's like, fucking petrol or if, something. If isn't whiskey it, is like forty percent proof, this is like eighty. Yeah, know? yeah. Pain thinner essentially. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember when we were younger, we were kind of late teens and the lads had a, got a bottle of poutine from somewhere. That was always the thing, wasn't it? Someone you knew someone that could get poutine. Somebody who made it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was and always in a Bacardi bottle or a Bacardi <laughs> bottle or something. <laughs> Co- yeah, I remember. I think it was a plastic a Coke bottle or something oh, like that. It just, yeah. But so we were down. We were down. I think the lads were down drinking in the park, and Dell the boys at the bottle of poutine and like that. He went to drink it, and is uh, took a slug out of it. 
and his throat went nope yeah oh yeah yeah like it's strong exorcist yeah. exorcist vomit. didn't even get to his stomach it was just like no fucking chance you are not putting that in here like <laughs> thought he was billy big balls <laughs> taking taking a big slug of protein <laughs> his body went fuck you <laughs> not putting that in me myself and a few lads went camping years ago and I nicked a bottle of putching from underneath the sink. You know, <laughs> like you, you don't keep anything underneath the sink that you can drink. Bleached into a mad put in a bleach beside bottle. a bottle of putching, you know, so <laughs> yeah. nicked it and couldn't drink it straight because it was just like, no, the body was gone, not a hope in hell. Yeah. So I nicked a, um, a carton of pure orange juice out of the fridge <laughs> and said, we'll mix it with this. <laughs> gin, well, for Snoop Dogg, it would have been gin and juice. You're in the fucking poutine and poutine juice. Poutine and juice. <laughs> yeah, tell you, Irish hip-hop, man, true and yeah. true. We Always should have made a track about that, Jesus. Always represent. <laughs> well, we had drunk and disorderly. Sipping on poutine and juice. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> we did, yeah. back. <laughs> Having a crack, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm mine, I'm my money, I'm my money, I'm my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Smiles and Riles, what have you got for me? Smiles and Riles, I give me Riles first. Fucking migraine the last, last few days. Oh. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of fucking headaches. I was only saying that actually in the recent. I've never had as many headaches of, as when I met you, but a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was your Valentine's Day card, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she gave me my mug with, uh, you're a dickhead, but you're my dickhead. So. <laughs> no, I think I think of a lot of it is from the physio. I've been getting physio on my back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and I looked it up, and it's a very common thing for, for getting headaches um, after, after massages, deep tissue massages and stuff like that. But I had a fucking whopper of a migraine the last the last few days. But it's not so much the headache. But there's this thing I can't remember what to call it uh, for people with that. But get migraines. Do you get migraines? No, I'd get a headache. All right, every so often, but I wouldn't get a, a bad migraine. Like migraines, you're confined to bed or you can't open your eyes or tilt your head. Yeah, or something like or whatever. I, I get. You know, I've had blind spots. Oh, <laughs> I remember, right. remember the first time it ever happened. I was in work and my brother Nicky used to work with me, and I was reading them. I used to read them in lunch break. I was reading the book and I'd get, I was scanning along the words and I was like, where's the word gone? There, there was holes. I get that. Missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that every so often as well. Yeah. yeah we fucking made that. That's, that's common. But, but it leads to a, a headache. That's, that's the way yeah, I found it. It's fucking probably a migraine, man. But then, but like, I, I wouldn't call it a migraine. It'd be a bit of a headache afterwards. Yeah. yeah you know, it was, it's, it's like a strain in the eye. I remember saying it to them in Specsavers when they give me eye tested. And, mm. um, your mama said, yeah, look, it's a common thing, but as long as the spots move, it's okay. And you do. You notice them going from one side to the other. Mm. Like, you can't mm. look at something directly. You have to look around it. <laughs> but it's a fucker. Like, if you're driving home from work and that happens, you're going to have to pull over the car for a while. I'm telling you, man, that could be a fucking migraine. Mm. Yeah, but I'll hang, hang around for a few days, but they have this thing where... Uh, Parts of your skin around uh, around your face can be very sensitive to the touch. So I've had this thing kind of around my kind of right ocular cavity there. Um, Where's that around your it eye? It feels like someone's around around me either. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like someone's dragged my face across the ground. Ugh. And to touch it, that's what it, that's what it feels like. Ow. Um, so I've had that for had that since Monday. I had, mass, I had the physio again on. Um, Monday, so I've had it. And Nothing get rid of it, painkillers, anything like that. Not to, like, fucking cheese on to me the whole time. Take a few painkillers, go to the doctor, says, no pain going to the doctor, it's a migraine. Like, it just it lingers for a few days and it was a little bit better today. So, mm. um, But why, why wouldn't you take a painkiller? Because it's not that bad. 
I know, but it's one of those niggly. Sometimes if I feel a headache coming on, I'll take a painkiller yeah. and it's gone. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah but I don't, I don't know. I don't know how effective they are, particularly for migraines. They're, they're, migraines are very different from, from normal headaches. Mm. Okay. You know, like that in the aura that hangs around. It's just this like kind of fog in your brain for a few days afterwards or you can't Jeez, move. Geez, you can't yeah, make yeah. A, a sudden movement with your head. It feels like your fucking brain is rattling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's me, Ryan. Done migraine there last the last few days, mm. and then me smile is the weather. Yeah, the fucking weather, man. I said before, it makes such a difference in my mood. Like um, mm. just sun, sun out that little bit more, or at least it's not fucking rain in a few days. Mm-hmm, um, but and I even say with clients, clients, you know, walking in with no jacket on and stuff like that. After yeah, no office. jacket. That's the big thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And say, like, oh, it's fucking grand out there now. Isn't it fucking, oh, it's lovely now. Just you take that. I take that all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, so the weather, it does, it has a huge impact oh, on, on, on people's moods. Mm. Um, like, I even seen it there. I went out to the garden with James uh, last week. I haven't been out in the garden since last autumn. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know, winter's like, man, I'm not going out to the garden. There's nothing to see out there. So we went out and we were doing a bit of weeding and stuff like that. And, um, I'm with ladybirds and fucking worms and stuff like yeah. that. I was like, pick it up. He's like, no. I was like, pick it up. Pick the worm up. I said, have your gloves on. No. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> oh, he's a dub accent, does he? No. Has he what? Me mouth. <laughs> I'm going out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Proper, proper talent. Yeah. Accent. Like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the weather now, that has a huge, huge impact on on, on my mood mm, yeah no it's great to see hopefully we get more of that now fingers crossed um, mm. now what's going on with you uh, let me see what's going on with me I, I go, I'll i give you a rile first okay mm-hmm. um, Mr. Potato Head man what's the uh, story uh, Mr. Potato Head come on <laughs> so I'm sure everybody has heard by now that they're changing the name of Mr. Potato Head to Potato Head mm. so I don't know what becomes of Mrs. Potato Head. Is she just Potato Head as well? Yeah, it's just Potato Head. Yeah. Potato Heads. Yeah. Like, come on! Like, uh, is this just the company uh, getting themselves back in the spotlight to kind of remind everybody we sell toys and are Potato Heads? No, no, uh, I refuse to call him Potato Head. It's Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head. Yeah. yeah now, and yeah. no offense to anybody in the well, gender the, community yeah, around. That's the like problem that. now. Is like, well, now you're just being transphobic. Well, look, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah, no. nobody in the transgender community looks to Mr. Potato Head for leadership. Yeah. <laughs> they do that here in Ireland with fucking Lee Hall Martin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's one of my royals. Uh, actually, that's my only royal. Mr. Poral, Mr. Potato Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to edit... Toy oh, yeah. Story. They'll fucking go back and edit. Yeah, Toy edit, Story edit all the misters out of yeah. Toy Story. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, so what's, what's the other thing there now that the Doctor Zeus, where everyone is Doctor Zeus, it's actually I think it's actually pronounced Doctor Zeus. Oh, I thought it was Zeus. The, right. No, no, apparently it's pronounced Zeus. Um, they're they're pulling some of his books. Oh, hints of content in racism or something. Or like something. Yeah, yeah. And now they've all sold out. And they're being resold for fucking big money. <laughs> yeah. That's it. If they're discontinued then. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's the... There was another one as well. Is that... What you call her who wrote that? The Agatha Christie. Uh, and then there was none. Right. Do you know that story? 
No. And just a quick warning for people, I'm going to tell you the name of the original book here, but it's not offence, it's just in context. It was originally called Ten Little Niggers. Oh. <laughs> mm. So you can understand why that title was changed. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, um, yeah, there you go. That was the original name. So you, you can understand that. Um, and, you know, but there's a few things that have been removed from um, popular culture. Do you remember the, the Gollywog Marmalade? Yeah, yeah, thingy? yeah. Yeah, yeah but he's gone because that was considered racist. Or was the, yeah, the, well, the, the blackface, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Or the, the minstrel thing. show kind of yeah. a thing. But funny enough, there's a, a restaurant I go to in Mullingar actually just outside Mullingar and they still have a gollywog up on the wall right. they have like loads of ornaments and toys from yeah, years yeah, gone past yeah. and everything and there is one still up there well, um, see, th- th- that's the thing about stuff like that as well it's like you know someone comes in then and goes oh that's fucking racist you shouldn't have that you yeah know, yeah oh, I didn't know that was racist we're not having that's it there it. for we a you spoke about that before yeah 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 you know. wasn't there, was there something as well did I see something recently um, was it Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, Little House Under Prairie kind of thing there was some literary award or something. I think it's her. Um, mm. tell, tell me I'm wrong. I think there was some literary award in her name, and now they're calling for her name to be taken off it because there was some racial stuff in her in her books. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no fucking shit. The world was racist at those times. But that's it. It's a reflection of times gone past. Yeah. It's not uh, propaganda. But you use that as a, as a <laughs> yeah. teaching tool to go. And this is this is the kind of stuff they believed, and this is the kind of stuff that 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 was societal at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead of taking it out there and rem- removing all reference to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, we can't change history and we no, shouldn't we attempt to. from it. Like, you, you, know? you don't have to fucking these retrospective lynch mobs like. Mm-hmm. Oh, people fucking, people had slaves 200 years ago. Yeah. And we know that's wrong now. That's why we don't have slaves That's now. why we don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But fucking lynch- lynching people morally for, for that, you know, a couple of hundred years later, it's... Do you remember that um, episode of Family Guy where Brian and Stewie were doing a bus top tour of Germany and he's flicking through the book on, sorry, the years uh, 1940 <laughs> are missing here. I'm just wondering about that. Nope, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. But it did it not. No, no, no. Everybody went for lunch. That was it. Nothing happened. <laughs> Do you remember Harry Enfield had the, the, the apologetic German tourist? Oh, yes. You remember that? Yes, like, yes. He'd just get talking. He'd be like backpacking around Europe and he'd just get talking to someone and out and over. I feel I must apologize for the behavior of my country. <laughs> no, we did wrong. We need- <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is brilliant. Yeah, it's, cancel. Um, it's the cancel culture, man. You know, yeah, yeah, now you have it. Yeah. Now you have it. Uh, let's give you a smile. Uh, already gave you my first smile. It was you with a Cork accent. I thought it was hilarious. The <laughs> <laughs> <Beamer> impression. <laughs> but I think that's probably what makes Cork people very funny, is just the accent the and accent, delivery. Just hearing them. They can say anything, and <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. that's brilliant. That's Some lad hilarious. threatening you, like, I'm going to fucking <laughs> yeah. murder you, boy. I'm going to fucking hack your fucking head off. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, John. We get oh, a selfie. Fucking brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. There's some crack, boy. No, I'm going to fucking stab you, like, I have the fucking nut. <laughs> What's your man on the on the, the young offenders? Billy, is it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Billy, uh, Billy Murphy. Yeah. Um, oh, do you know what I watched over the weekend? I thought it was very good. Um, the, the movie uh, it's from nine years ago now, so I'm only getting around your to man it now. Pete. Yep. catching up. Um, Silver Linings Playbook. 
you ever watch oh, it? Oh, yeah. Bradley yeah, Cooper. Yeah. Bradley Cooper, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Bob De Niro's in it as well. Plays a good role. Chris Tucker was in it. I was like, what? Chris Tucker, man. Chris Tucker. I didn't. I thought he only did fucking Rush Hour for a hundred yeah, billion yeah. every time he appeared on screen. <laughs> you know, I didn't think he was in movies, but it was great to see Chris Tucker again. Mm. You know, mm. and in a kind of different role. You know, not in the high pitch. You know, comedy role. Yeah, you I know, he's had a more um, recent stand up. I think. I think he's a more. Yeah, he's doing stand up on, on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great. Like, it's all about. Did you Did you see the movie? Yeah, you, when, when it first came out, so yeah, yeah. So if you remember it, <laughs> um, Bradley Bobby Cooper De Niro being Bobby De Niro, and as he has been in all his films, kind, yeah, yeah, years. kind of, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like I wouldn't even now if I seen Robert De Niro in a film, it's nearly enough to put me off it because you know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. it's like oh, you fucking and look, you know, when you have his body of work, you, you can phone it in, but it's just like, mm. it's you're not getting anything. It's like the. It's like the new Ben Howard songs. Like, I'm fucking total fanboy, Ben Howard. And this new stuff is just like, nah. Just nah. Heard it before, yeah. Yeah, just totally, totally changed and completely different. And it's like, oh, I fucking want, I want the old Ben Howard back. Like, and everyone's like, no, you need to support an artist. I was like, no, but fuck, I don't like this shit. Like, give me the fucking stuff I fell in love with that. I fucking rename my child, fuck, or my middle child. Rename my child. <laughs> my child's middle name is Benjamin. Like, child, your name is Ben. I want that Ben Howard back. I want the fucking Ben Howard I had a pint with, like, for half an hour. And we spoke about Mickey Flanagan and going out, out, and him being fucking shocked and shutting down when I told him what I did for a living. Like, <laughs> he's gone. Oh, that back. He's gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> oh, he said, "Well, oh, what do you do?" And I was like, "Yeah, because I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm the counselor. Oh, what kind of counselor?" I was like psychotherapist. He was like, "Oh, all oh, right." <laughs> oh, I'm getting out of here because I'm in trouble, <laughs> and I don't want you pointing them sensible. out. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, Bobby De Niro. His mm. body of work hasn't been great, <laughs> but uh, no, it was good. It was. It's like it's all about mental health. Yeah, you know, yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he comes out of an institution. I think he attacked the wife, Bradley Cooper, and, you know, he's still convinced she's mad about him and they're madly in love and they're going to get back together. And mm. uh, But even you can see where he gets it from with, with the dad, Bob De Niro, who's yeah, complete yeah. OCD, you yeah. know, who wants but him to watch... Watching, he wants him to watch football with him, yeah. And it, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, and, that's right. And you have yeah, to be there because yeah. every time you're here, we win. That's a form of anxiety, yeah. And even Chris Tucker popped in to visit him at one stage and he wasn't there. But the dad brought him in. And of course, Bradley Cooper walks in and there's Chris Tucker with two remote controls held up in the air. Because every time he held these remote controls, <laughs> the Eagles were playing brilliant, you know, and he was sitting there going, look, I'm helping them win. I'm helping them yeah, win. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it gives you that illusion but yeah, of control. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's that's you, man. Ah, uh, yeah, Jay Z again. I didn't get back him the last time, so uh, yeah. Well, he wasn't buying the course, so yeah. No, fuck him, fuck him. <laughs> you can go back with more money. Do you know what? Do you know what he needs to do with his money? Get a fucking haircut. Yeah, badly. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what are you doing with hair, man? This yeah. doesn't suit you. Like, oh put yeah, the hat yeah. back on. No, seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, so as promised, we are delighted to be joined on the podcast this week by Connor Harris. TV star Connor Harris. So for any of our listeners outside of Ireland, Connor appeared on a, a reality TV show called Davy's Toughest Team. So it was Davy Fitzgerald, aka Wexford Hurling Boss, former Clare Hurling goalkeeper. Uh, he's regarded as one of the greatest of all time. So he's like the Roy Keane of Hurling. Would you say that, Connor? 
Yeah, definitely when it comes to being a goalkeeper anyway, it would. 100%. (laughs) Um, But Davey got a bunch of young lads together. uh, They trained together and climbed the highest point in Ireland, Karen Tuhill. It was supposed to be Everest, wasn't it, Connor? But with COVID, uh, that put an end to that. Yeah, so the the whole thing behind the TV show was to go to Everest because the TV show was based around life's challenges. And as everyone across the world knows, like, Mount Everest is probably the biggest challenge you'd ever do if you were to climb mm. that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, apart from mental challenges that we all go through physically, Mount Everest would be one of the biggest challenges you'd ever face in your life if you were to go and take part in it. Yeah. So that was the plan for us to go and just do something like that because you know me and the other six lads would have came across some you know obstacles in our lives and some challenges that we we wouldn't have been able to face and the whole whole thing around it was Dave would bring us there to open our eyes up to what's in the world and that mm. we really can do anything if we put our minds to it and were you disappointed not to go to Everest ah uh, yeah I was I was I was devastated and I will be honest I was mm. because you know uh, we'd all been training hard and I was doing a lot of training behind the scenes and you know I was really really because pumped up for it because I had only been I had only came out of rehab when I got picked for the TV show and you know this was going to be a massive massive step in my yeah. life to go from a five month residential treatment to Mount Everest like you know in the space of a couple of months and a couple of days before we were supposed to fly out it got cancelled and huh. you know I was devastated but I pulled the positives out of it and the positives were that I knew behind it all the TV show was still going to go ahead and I was still going to get the chance to share my story and help others. Mm. So despite the letdown I did, I, I used it to my advantage. Um, and do you think you'll do it someday? Yeah, it's something I, I do think about actually a lot is that it's definitely something I'd like to do now in the next few years. I would like to go over to Nepal and actually do a, do the base camp. You know, mm. I really, really would. And I, 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 feel like, I feel strongly that I actually will now. It's definitely, definitely something I think I will do. Brilliant. On the TV show, Connor, you were you were very open. You know, you were all very open, all seventy lads, about your your individual struggles. You know, your lives. Um, what was it like to bury your soul on TV? You know, in front of thousands or potentially millions of people. Yeah. So for me, you know, when I went into treatment, I sort of as time went on, I sort of knew I had a gift, and the gift was to help other people. You know, I knew I had a story. I knew I had a strong message, and it was just finding the confidence and finding my voice and you know I started to find that in treatment and when I got out and I got picked for the TV show I really I really did have to think about it because I I was vulnerable at the time coming out Mm. of treatment I had to learn how to walk talk and like do everything again so you know and I'd be be completely honest no matter where I'm speaking I was I was a vulnerable man and that's just being honest with you and Mm. I had to I had to think like what can this TV show do for me and you know as well as it could do amazing things for me like we were meant to go to Everest and stuff these are like life changing opportunities I also knew that it would give me the opportunity to help people who are in the same position as me and to start burying that stigma around young lads with mental health and another thing that's close to my heart is people thinking they're too young to get clean Mm -hmm. you know that's that's a big a big thing that goes on in my head a long time like no offence to anyone, but, you know, I hear the people and, you know, they've suffered for many years and only walked into the rooms to get help maybe when they're in their late 20s or their early 30s when, you know, 
if us as men or women like dropped their ego and put our hand up and admitted that there was stuff going on in our lives, we would be able to get better very soon. And you know, mm. that's that's exactly what I done. And I believe absolutely anybody can do it at absolutely any age. And I just wanted to show the world that no matter what age you are, you can come back from being in the depths of it and stuff like that. So I I knew it was going to help people, and that's why, you know, I just had to bite my teeth and go and do it you know face my fears yeah. and get out of my comfort zone and go and talk in front of the nation and it it didn't bother me as much when i started getting comfortable and getting talking you know obviously leading up to it it would have like you know scared me a little bit but but that's okay fear fear is good once mm-hmm. i conquer the fears and i did conquer the fears and i've absolutely no problem with it now i'm proud of who i am and i'm proud of what i said and i really do stick by that yeah, let's talk about who you are, Connor. Um, what was it like growing up? Yeah, so for me, growing up, like I live in a I live in a house with I was living in a house with my ma, and it would have been first my three sisters, and then my little sister would have been born. And you know, my parents separated very early, and I was the only boy in the family, and I had a twin, and uh, you know, I had two other sisters on my ma, and then it was me left with the four girls, and very quickly. You know, I was resentful at the world and stuff like that mm. because the person I looked up to, my life had gone. Yeah. And you know, and I do I always say this no matter where I'm talking. You know, I have this gift today that recovery gave me that. No, what happened in my mom and dad's lives, they were obviously things they never got to deal with, and I accept the fact that that had to happen. You know, and I I don't hold any resentment against them for what I went through. They had mm. to deal with their problems and that's the way they went about it and you know I'm perfectly okay with that but just my story is that it did affect me and you know I tried to take on the man of the house role and I felt like I couldn't talk to my sisters and my mom and stuff like that then because you know I couldn't show weakness I couldn't be vulnerable because I had a role to play and that was be the man of the house yeah. because my father had left and you know it went on for years and years and I, I wore a I wore a mask, you know, I was the, definitely a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, I was yeah. all this bright, amazing boy at, on the outside, but you know, when mm-hmm. I came behind closed doors on the inside, I was I was very suicidal when I was younger, I was self-harming and all that type of stuff at, at a young age. Yeah. And that was the side to me people didn't see. All three of us here in this interview have parents uh, who have separated, you know, it's so common. <laughs> But at the time, Connor, did you think there was a bit of a stigma around having your parents separated? Um, for me, I, I don't know if it was a bit of a stigma, but I definitely did think people, well, yeah, I could say that. Like, I did think people would look different at me now because, you know, I had no no father in my house. Like, you mm. know, people would have known that, like, he had a pee packed his bags and left. And that would have, you know, that would have bothered me, the people known and yeah. like, showing your face around the area and stuff like that. You know, mm. as a young lad... It, especially because you don't understand these things that are going on it definitely it definitely did affect me in, in a massive way yeah so i know it all affects different people but the way it affected me was like some people when their parents split up are, are fine with it but for me you know it did affect me because i didn't have a good relationship with my mother at the time which did it didn't help which didn't help that at all you know that kind of way me and mm. my mother didn't really see eye to eye and she, she knows this and we've talked about this and we have like an amazing relationship today. I go up and see her every single day of the week and spend time with her. But back then, that didn't help either, and that that led to a vicious cycle of disconnection, loneliness, yeah. abandonment, and all these feelings that I was going through. 
Yeah. You mentioned self-harm there, Connor. It was something we discussed on a previous episode. How did you come about self-harming? Yeah, so, like, when I when I started getting into secondary school, like, I would have... I started self-harming, like, very quickly because, you know, you open up into a bigger environment and stuff like that. And then, you know, more pressure starts getting on you in life is when you get to secondary school because it's it's a, it's a bigger area. There's more people. Mm-hmm. There's more things you have to do. And, you know, I was never... I was never a school person. I never, I never really liked the economic side of it, or you know that kind of way. I never liked the writing. I never liked the books. But mm-hmm. you know, I did try for some time, and that that type of stuff puts pressure on you. You know, yeah. You want yeah. to, well, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who you're, like what your relationship you have with your parents. Even though I might not have had a good relationship with my mom, I still wanted to do good for her. You know that kind of way. Exactly. So pressure started coming on me a lot, and. You know, I would have started self-harming young. Like, I would have started cutting my wrist and stuff like that. And I was very suicidal. And there's there's one memory that always sticks at me. And this is, you know, how lost and disconnected I felt in my life. And I think I've shared this before. You know, one day when I was in the shower, I, I opened up, I opened up like the razor blade. And I, I started, you know, cutting into the area where my heart is and saying, I just want to find my heart because I, I feel like I don't have a heart anymore. And that's how disconnected I felt with life. Wow, you know traditionally we tend to, and I think it's there's a kind of more of a, an influence of of girls and the expectations of girls self harming. Um, were you aware of anyone else or any other boys, or did you did you feel any any different as a boy that was doing it, or what was the experience like for you with that, or, or what what drove you to it in in the first place even? Yeah, well, like like I said, what drove me to was just. Mm you know getting into secondary school and then I just felt like more pressure come on me and yeah. stuff in life and, you, you, you had know, a lot of pressure from, from such a young age though and you know as you said yeah. you step into the, the man of the the man of the house kind of role at what's it, 8 or 9 and you know a huge huge amount of responsibility and did you ever get that was that uh, you know I would frequently see it with clients of someone comes along and kind of well meaningly going oh you're the man of the house now you have to you have to look after your mammy you have to look after your sisters did you, did you ever experience anything like oh, that oh plenty of times like people yeah. like a lot of people oh, you know, I'd always would have got that when I was growing up like you're, yeah. you're, the, like, you're the man of the house before my mom would have you know my mom would have met her you know her fella who was mm-hmm. uh, like when her and my dad split up, split up like I would have got that like you're the man of the house, you know. You have to do this and you have to do that, and you just sort of like smile at them and say, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. In your head, you'd be like, "What the f- are you saying?" Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. you know that kind of way. And that's that's not being smart around, but that's just how you feel oh, inside. Yeah, yeah. you but know, th- you were a child. I mean, you were like a child. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I was. Such a young oh, no, I was only I was only growing up, and mm. you know that's I, I learned a lot. You know, I learned to. That's why I think you know today. Like I'm 21, I, I, you know, I moved out of home. I live with my girlfriend, stuff like that. I think all them experiences and stuff like that have made me the man I am today. Like mm. I'm independent. I don't, I don't rely on anyone for anything. I, I cook my own dinners. I wash my own clothes. I, I pay my own rent. I do all of that stuff, and I don't have to look at anyone or ask anyone for anything now. And I think, you know, I think that built up in my character from what I went through and all that type mm. of stuff. It definitely did build me up. Do you think is there a danger, perhaps, for yourself, Connor, of at times maybe being a bit too independent? That it can be very hard to accept help, or it can be very hard for to let anyone else step in to do anything that you've gotten so used to relying on yourself or so used to doing everything by yourself. Yeah, so 
financially I wouldn't like financially when I came out of treatment I wouldn't have been in a good spot because of my drug debt and stuff like that and, mm. you know I do tend to now like just say if I'm struggling financially you know I had, I've paid off most of my loans and stuff which I say for example like I missed work now for the last week and a half because I've been out with my back mm. and as soon as one of my family offered to give me a dig out of money I, I just say no and like that's it you know and that's I think that's just a man's pride I feel you know that's yeah. my pride and my ego like oh, I don't I don't need help from anyone I, I can do this mm. you know but on the flip side of it I know if things got really really bad I would turn around to my family and say look can you give us a dig out it's you know if I feel like I can scrape by, I'll scrape by. But if I feel like I can't do it, I won't do it on my own. But if I feel like I can scrape by and do it on my own, I feel like I'll do it. Just I just always feel like I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone. But it is another thing I have to look at. I can't, I can't be putting any risks on myself and too much pressure on myself either, especially mm. with the position I'm in and my recovery and stuff. I need to mind myself. Mm, yeah. True. Well just going back there um, a couple of steps Connor you were talking about your mum had uh, had met somebody was that difficult because you were the man of the house and next of all there's another man of the house you know an actual an adult was there a bit of conflict there when somebody initially stepped into the house and went well look I'm the male now you know what I mean yeah well this is like I have all these little vivid memories like I said one of them with the self harm like I remember one time when I was young and after my dad left and I was I would I wanted to stay in bed with my mom to look after her and I remember just say she'd be talking to you know her partner on the phone I'd be like mm. I don't want anyone else here you know I it's like this is my house and since dad's gone I don't want anyone else here that's yeah. that's literally the role I tried to play but like you know when they did get together and I, I don't want to dwell too too much on their relationship and stuff like that when they did get together like you know uh, I sort of accepted it you know we didn't it wasn't like he she never came in to try and play as my father or my stepfather or anything like that. It was okay. never like that. It was never, ever like that. He never tried to come in and put his feet down or mark his territory. It was never anything like that. He was he was more quiet than anything, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. So it was never like that. But still, even though he'd been there, there was still this part of me that did want to look after my family. No matter yeah, who was in the house, I still, because my dad was gone, I just wanted to look after my family and that was it. Yeah. Oh, you had a term for it before on an older episode, Alan. What was it? Oh, nature abhors a vacuum. That's Some, the one, will, yeah. Someone will step in to fill that role and you stepped in to fill that uh, that male role in it. Um, what was what was your entry into the into the world of addiction? You, you'd mentioned treatment and obviously um, the theme of, of it being around addiction. Um, how did that start for you or what what was your foot into the into that world yeah so obviously when i had been struggling with self-harm and like my mental health and stuff you know football was always a great escape for me like i would have played mm-hmm. football for kildare and i would have played you know with Rakoffi and played with the school and football was everything to me and i also like this i also got training into the gym and these were the only forms of therapy i'd ever used because i did once or twice talk to a guidance counsellor in school but that was it you know talking to a guidance counsellor is not getting therapy you know that kind of yeah, way maybe yeah. it was just how I maybe felt that day or something like that but I, I never opened up so I was using like my gym and my football as just complete therapy and like they they took away all my insecurities and how I felt about myself because anyone knows if you go to the gym or you play a football match you feel a hundred times better and that's that's just a known fact 
Mm. And, you know, I would train five or six days a week in the gym and it would help me so much mentally and I'd start to look better physically and these would take away my insecurities and how I felt about myself for the short space of time. And when I got introduced to drugs when I was 17, you know, very quickly I realised that, you know, when I was taking drugs, like I did not have one thought about how shit I felt or what happened to me when I was younger or any of that. Mm. All I felt was everything was okay. What was the first drug you took, Connor? Uh, cocaine was the first drug I took when I was 17. And, you know, I went on about, I went on uh, to two and a half year uh, spree of that. And it got very, very bad, very, very quickly. Wow. How did you fund it, Connor? That's what, like I said, I was, you know, I went, I took it when I was 17 and, you know, I went through sixth year and I was doing it weekends and I was sneaking mm. out of my house during the week and stuff. And, you know, when it came to my leaving, sir, I ended up using during my leaving, sir. And wow. that's when I knew things were starting to get bad. And, you know, that summer was pure partying and then starting the, what was it, just say, after I finished my leaving start, I did a bit of partying and I was offered to get a good job and an apprentice and I never took it. And that led to me going in and out of jobs. And, you know, in the space of them couple of months when I left school, October of that year, I was in hospital after fighting for my life, after nearly losing my life from cocaine. And that was all within the space of a few months. How did that happen, Connor? Uh, so my using it went from uh, a Saturday night to a Friday and a Saturday night, to mm. a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, to mm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Wow. To every day of the week. And, you know, I was using for three days straight and I was in my room and I was meant to be painting my room. My best friend came around and no, something didn't feel right. You know, I hadn't slept. I hadn't eaten three days. And, you know, my heart was sore and stuff like that. And I was beating uncontrollably. And, you know, I said to my ma, I said, look, this isn't good and I fell to the ground and I was like long story short man I said I have a cocaine problem and uh, I think I'm having a car heart attack you need to ring an ambulance <laughs> and you know she just looked at me like what and you know the ambulance came and you know I couldn't see properly I couldn't feel my legs or anything like that and I was holding my mom's hand in one hand and my best friend's hand in the other hand said if I die today I just want you to know that I do love you and the ambulance showed up and you know, they said to my they said to my mates when I was in the back of the ambulance before they put, pulled off. One of the paramedics turned around to my friend and said, "Is that your friend in the back of the ambulance?" And the boys were like, "Yeah, why?" And he goes, "Will you tell him when you see him next that if we had been a couple of seconds later, he would have been dead." Wow. wow. I got got rushed to hospital then, and you know, I woke up with my sisters and my mom at the end of the bed crying, and you know, I realised then what had been going on and. I slowly I looked at my phone and I had a twenty grand bill on my desk. That's what it done to me financially. Wow! Oh, fuck. And was it a heart attack you had, Connor? Um. So it it wasn't actually a heart a heart attack, but it was like it was an overdose. Basically, my heart okay. was doing a hundred and hundred and ninety beats per minute, nearly two hundred beats, nearly nearly two hundred beats per minute or something. They they to stick something in my arm, which is like the opposite of adrenaline, which like slows your heart down. Mm. In, right. in the back of the ambulance because like my heart was pounding through my chest you know and there was all sweat coming down me and I was just it was awful oh my god I will, I'll never forget it like you know it really really stands to me I remember running on a treadmill for 15 kilometers per hour 
and that's a sprint. And my heart rate read at 155. I can't imagine what over 200 will be like. Yeah, so it was in or no, it wasn't over 200. It was in around 180 or 190. Okay. But I wasn't, I wasn't even walking that day. I was just sitting in my room. There was, but that was just my heart rate getting up all because of cocaine. Yeah. So um, it, was that your was that your low point, Connor? Do you know what that that's that wasn't my low point? You know. I, I I swore I'd never do it again, and this is this is the power of addiction. You know, I swore I'd never mm. do it again. I didn't need treatment, and you know, the ego is kind of you can do this on your own. And yeah. you know, I got out of hospital, and a couple of days later, I was using again, and right. that led that led to you know using nearly every, every day of the week, like in in and out of jobs, working one or two days a week, using using, and you know, it was Mother's Day. The year after, in 2019, you know, was my lowest point. I uh, I tried to take my own life. I was uh, at a session for a couple of days and I hadn't slept, you know, the usual gig that I do. And I uh, was at the Liffey with the lads and it was an after session and it was Mother's Day and they were all like, look, we're going home now. And one of my mates was like, come on, you're coming home with me. And I was like, no, no. I said, I'm, I'm going to stay here and get a bit of sleep and I'm going to go see my man later and you know, that's that's not what was on my mind at all. As soon as they left, I, I broke down. It was it was to this day the worst experience in my life, the lowest I've ever felt in my life. I cried and I cried and I cried and I screamed at the heavens. I screamed, Somebody please come save me. Why is this happening to me? Somebody, somebody do something for me and I was walking back and forth to the water, taking off a piece of clothing and you know, I, I sat by the edge of the water and I was about to take my own life until someone pulled me by the neck and dragged me across the ground and you know that was the first moment in my life I'd ever felt safe felt like you know what the hell is happening here I really need to get my act together and that day I've seen a glimmer of hope you know I truly believe to this day if my friend hadn't came back that day which the only reason he came back was to give me a bottle of water I'd asked for a couple of hours earlier I believe if he hadn't came back that day that I would not be here today. You know, and that was my lowest point and, you know, I knew then something needed to change. Kind of, you mentioned, you know, in the ambulance and getting out of hospital and stuff like that, there was a 20,000 drug debt. Drug dealers not traditionally um, sympathetic to, to loans on old on drugs. Was there any ever any hassle on that side of things for you? You know what? And I did an inter- interview with the newspaper and the guy was shocked at what he said and he'll probably be shocked too, you know. The people who I dealt with were understanding and like they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been small people either. Yeah. You know, yeah. some of them people waited over a year for their money because they, they didn't knew write it, it off though, did they? <laughs> no. They knew at the end of the day that I would pay it back, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was obviously the, was, a testament to your character, Connor. That, yeah, there was know, something that, I, was, I was just suffering with with the disease of addiction, and if that had happened to me, they weren't going to get the money in anyway. So mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. you know, they did understand, and we made out a payment plan and stuff like that as soon as I got out of treatment. And you know, they waited over a year for that money, and I paid them that money, and I haven't heard a word from them since. Wow. Well, what, what took you to treatment then? Connor and, and, and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so when that happened that day and I, I had to go to hospital because I was in fear of taking my own life and stuff and mm. you know, I, I really did know then that something needed to change. You know, I believe someone was looking over me that day, someone saved me and I actually got a bit of hope into my life and 
you know, I started going to drug counselling then and I started talking about how I felt and what was going on for me and stuff like that. And uh, I needed to go to treatment and, you know, I went to the Halo U project in NACE. It's an amazing set of amazing people and they really, really did help me get into treatment. You know, even though I tried to take my own life because of, because of my addiction, I still did use after that because unless I, like, people out there, if anyone's listening to this, unless you have a program behind you and unless you get, unless you get the help you need, if you are suffering from drinking drugs, you cannot do this on your own. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. It's, it's, it's a fact, but it's also a promise, you know, it's, it is. And I knew I couldn't do it alone. So even though I was trying to get into treatment, I was still using because I'd absolutely no control over it. You know, the, the longest I got clean in them two and a half years was, was roughly two weeks. Mm. And other than that, I was using, you know, very much every day of the week. And, so I was ringing anyway to get into treatment and stuff like that and uh, I had another scare and I was in the hospital again and then the the psychologist was just like, right, we need to have a chat and she wrote a massive, I think it might have been 15 pages or something like that and she sent it off to the treatment centre and they were like, like, you seriously need to get into treatment, you are going to die. like, And I kept pushing and, you know, I never gave up on myself even though... I had accepted at the age of 19 that I was going to die by drugs and that was how my life was going to end. I had already accepted that. But there was some little bit of self-belief inside me saying, you can do this, you can do this. And that's why I kept ringing for treatment. Although I was using, I kept ringing for treatment. And, you know, I remember exactly where I was. I was up, I was up fit in the kitchen up in Dublin and uh, I got the call that, you know, you better be ready. Next week and, you know, I actually messed up my chance of getting into treatment that time because I went to news the day before I was meant to go and they would have sent me home because I would have been way too high. You know, I would have been over the limit because you're meant to be fairly sober going in. And, Mm. you know, by the grace of of a higher power, like they rang me that day and said, look, your bed's not going to be free for another few days. So that's when I just said, right, I need to do something here. And, you know, I went to live with my friend for a few days and he literally minded me like a baby. And that's the best way you can describe it. He watched over me for them couple of days, so I did not use. And, you know, I went down to Limerick, to Brewery, you know, Coomera. And mm. when I walked in there, I just, oh, I just felt safe. I knew I did not have to use again. I, I knew, I knew this was it. I knew all the hard work and sheer determination I had when I was playing football could be put to use in this treatment centre. And if I just gave it my all for these five months that I could actually change. And, you know, they weren't an easy five months, but I'd done exactly what was asked of me. I talked about everything I need to talk about. You know, I I done my program to the best of my ability. And, you know, since July 2019, when I went in the 17th of July, I've, I've been clean ever since. Amazing. You mentioned, um, you know, using before you went in. I was only talking to somebody there recently who told me that it's nearly like, um, it's not, not like a tradition or something, but for somebody who's going to maybe St. Pat's or something like that in Dublin or they're going to rehab, is to drink on the train on the way up. And it's kind of like your farewell, this is my last session and then I'm going to get clean kind of thing. Did you have that feeling, Connor? No, it actually wasn't like that at all because... Like, uh, I like I had no control over my using and then okay. when I went to my friends like I I really did not want no farewell I just wanted to get clean like that's all I wanted because 
my life had became so miserable. I was so bad into depression. Like I was, I wouldn't leave my room for days, you know, no job, no nothing. I would just sit in my room taking cocaine all the time. I'd, mm. I'd go toilet in bottles and I'd pour them out the window because I ended up that afraid of the world. My God. You were doing you were doing treatment for yourself though, Connor. I mean, I've I teach up in an addiction place up in Tala there at times and, and I know from the majority of, of, of people in there are lads and I know from the lads and they will say like you have to do treatment for yourself. If you're only going because your ma's making you go or because your missus is making you go, you're at nothing. You'll go back to, you you'll go back to it. So if what you yeah, have to do it for yourself and you seem to have had that determination for yourself of going, I, I want to get clean. I, ha- I have to do this for me. Like, yeah, because I've said that to I've said that to many people since I get out. Like, uh, where they say, "Do you ever think you'll drink again or anything like this?" And I'm like, "No, like I, I really genuinely won't." Like, mm. I said, I, I didn't go in there to get clean for my little sister, no matter how much I love her, or no matter mm. how much I love my twin or my other two sisters or my ma or my dad. I said, mm. I didn't go in there to get clean for them. I said, I went in there to get clean for me because mm. I knew if I got clean, their lives would benefit from it anyway. So what's the point of going in for them? Yeah, I said true. I went in there for me and that's all I needed to do yeah. and as soon as I get clean it's going to have a ripple effect on how long my whole family and everything's going to get start to get better and that's exactly what happened Did your family know you were taking drugs Connor? Yeah well I, after that happened like when I got rushed to hospital I you know because I, I genuinely thought I was going to die I had mm. to explain to her that I was taking drugs and mm. you know there's there's nothing you can do for an addict when they're using you know, you can offer them all the help in the world and you can provide them with somewhere to stay, food, water, money. But unless they actually want to change, there's it's hard to say, And but nothing's going to mm. happen. Like, unless yeah. they actually want to yeah. change, there's nothing you can do for an addict. And that's, it's blunt, but it, it's very true, you know? Yeah. I've been asked to speak to people and stuff and who might be suffering with, you know, drugs and stuff. But I'm like, you know do they want to be in this position are they just being young and are they just doing what they want or are they stuck in that position and want help because if I go and talk to these now and you know they're just being young and they're going Mm. down the wrong path and what I say might give them a glimmer of hope but if they do not want to get away from it nothing I say is is going to really matter you know Mm. yeah you were talking about your time in uh, in rehab there Connor. And, you know, we, we have a traditional view of the asylums where everybody like taped to the beds and all that kind of stuff. And it's obviously a stigma that's attached to it. But we've spoken to people before who said they they loved it. How did you experience it? Uh, treatment was amazing. And mm-hmm. I'll just say that straight out. You know, it was I, I loved it. Like I genuinely did. You know, it was five months. And don't get me wrong. I had my bad days. I, I cried. Mm. I got angry wanted to kill people in there I wanted to leave you know I wanted to do all of them stuff but I really did enjoy just identifying with other people and helping other people and speaking to other people who actually understood me because yeah, you know if I go and talk to my friends if I ever talk to my friends back then about what I'd be going through like no one no one understands like the the best way an addict can help himself is by talking to another addict like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wired different to other people and that's why I need the fellowship and I need the treatment because that was the only way I could identify with other people and find out what exactly was wrong with me and you know 
I had fun, you know. You had a, I had a job and like you work in there and stuff. It's 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 not like you stay in a room every day and it, it puts manners on you because that that's just going to drive you even more crazy. It's you know what can we actually try to do is get a routine back into your life. You know you do a detox and then you go over to the main house and you do your morning therapy. You work a job. You have your lunch. You work for the rest of the, uh, a couple of hours, and then you go mm. do your evening therapy, and you have your meditation and your prayers, and you have your free time, and there's the gym and all that type of stuff. And it's it's just a real, really a way of just getting you back into society. Mm. While getting you back into society, you're doing your two or three therapy lessons a day, which is learning about addiction and what has been wrong with you, and you're picking up all the tools you need for when you leave after them five months. So I honestly just thought it was amazing. Like, and my mom always talks about it. Like, oh, you need to ring brewery. You need to ring brewery. Like that place was so great. And my girlfriend often says, like, oh, I don't know what happened to you down there, but they they must have must have put a magic spell on you or something. You know, that's <laughs> that's exactly how much I've changed since I came out of treatment. Like, mm. my girlfriend actually thinks that they put a spell on me down there because <laughs> I am completely different to who I was before I went in. Did you ever have any dealings with Sister Concilio down there, Connor? Did you ever have uh, Sister Concilio who found it? I wasn't actually. So Sister Concilio is in a toy, and Sister Agnes yeah, would yes, be yes, in yes. would be in brewery. I did meet Concilio. She did yeah. come down and say hello, and I did meet yeah. her. But other than that, I've actually I met her in a few workshops. Um, she's she's good. She's a good sense of humour. I don't know if. If if that comes across for anyone that doesn't know, Sister Concilio is a is a nun who founded Coomera, which is an addiction uh, recovery. Um, and I've done done a couple of workshops with her over the years, and she's she's got out cracks. She's a good she's a good sense of humour. She um, is, and she's always smiling. You know, yeah, like she yeah. she's always yeah. smiling. She seems to be a really really good person. Yeah, the the interesting thing whenever whenever I met her in workshops, she she never introduced herself as Sister Concilio. I think uh, she. Um, she, inter- she always introduced herself as her uh, given name. Um, name yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so she's a good character, good character. But the the routine and structure, and I think a few people have mentioned that to us. And anyone that's mm-hmm. whether it's treatment for drugs or hospitalisation for mental health issues, the routine and the social aspect seems to help a lot of people. Connor, that that was your experience as well, was it? Yeah, massively. Like just getting that routine back into my mm. life and getting used to live in life on life's terms you know because mm. in addiction it was my way or the highway it was you know for me it was a first class ticket to self-destruction and it was mm. only one way and that was my way and that's the way my life was for for too for too long you know so yeah. treatment really did knock that out of me and you know made me realize what i suffered with mm. and gave me you know the opportunity to start living life again I had a, a, well, obviously I've had a few clients that have had treatment and addiction and stuff like that, but I remember a client that had been treatment, in treatment, gave gave me a good one, and it was um, not everyone that's had trauma uh, becomes an addict, but every addict has had trauma. Would would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Like, as if you are an addict, you definitely, well, even if it was before your addiction or during your addiction, there's definitely been traumatic experience. Like, before my addiction, I did suffer with trauma, and during my addiction, you know, if if taking your own life isn't trauma, I don't know. I don't really know what trauma is. Then, you know, there's definitely if you are an addict, you have experienced trauma, and a lot of it is, you know, the trauma that we put ourselves through by not being not being able to speak up and get the help we needed. And you know, that's of no fault mm-hmm. of any addict's own. Like it was no fault of my own. I just I just didn't know any better. But 
yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Just wondering there, Connor, was there ever a fear that when you gave up drugs, um, you'd lose friends or you wouldn't be able to go to a party uh, or a match or a gig or a festival or something like that? Uh, you know what? This is this is a funny one because people are always, this is what I've always got told, like you have to lose your friends, you have to lose your circle and all this. And you'll see who your true friends are when you change your life mm. or not. You know, on my birthday in treatment, I got 18 letters or something like that, you know, from my family and from every single one of my close friends. I was getting, you know, five to 10 letters a week off my friends, my family. And when I came out of treatment, they were the first people to knock on my door and see how I was getting on. You know, I, wow. I truly believe you do, like you don't lose friends when you go into recovery. Maybe, you know, if mm. your friends want to do something else but if your friends are your friends they're going to completely understand your situation and they're going to be your friend for who you are and yeah that's, I think, what I think my that's friends, probably the thing is that you find out who your real friends are yeah of course and that's what all my friends have been like like this evening i'll go home to where i'm from in a coffee and i'll go walk the dog with my childhood friend he couldn't give her he couldn't care less if i'm in recovery he's he's happy mm. for me you know mm. of course now I was hanging out in Clane and that's where I went to school and that's what I've been where I would have been doing my using. I don't hang out there anymore. I still talk to my friends from there, but you know, I don't hang out there but I still, you know, I had no I didn't really have fear around it. No, I, I truly didn't because I, I really had in my heart knew that my friends were, were really good people, like my friends have done an absolute lot for me. So I truly I truly did believe that I wasn't gonna lose any friends mm. coming out of treatment. Um would you always consider yourself um, an addict, Connor? Because you often hear the term as "I'm a recovered addict" or "I used to be an addict." But would you always consider yourself to be an addict? So, see this recovered addict thing and all. It it, it doesn't. Well, it doesn't bug. Well, sometimes it does bug me, and I will be honest. Like I'm always going to be an addict. Mm. Okay, and that's that's it. I'm an addict. I am an addict. I cannot drink again. I cannot do drugs again because if I drink or do drugs, it sets off something in my mind. And I cannot stop. Mm. I hear, like, I go, yeah, I go to meetings and stuff, and you hear the term, I'm a recovering addict, I'm a recovered addict. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think, I think for the newcomer, you know, for the newcomer, it's the most important person I meet, and I think it's a bit much, you know, when people are saying, I'm a recovered addict, but I'm recovered from a hopeless state of mind. I just, I just find for someone who's new in the rooms, it can be confusing. You know, mm. I get, I get we are, we don't have this hopeless state of mind anymore, but I know if I was new into, into a meeting or when I went into treatment, if the counsellor always used to say I'm a recovering addict, then, you know, I know if he had said, well, I think I know if he had said I'm a recovered addict back then, I would have thought straight away, well, you're recovered, you can go, you can go drink and do drugs. Go, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why, yeah. that's why when I hear the term recovered addict, I, I just personally, I don't agree with it. That's, mm-hmm. It's like people are fine. They can do say whatever they want, but for me, I will never use the term recovered addict because, to me, I think for someone who's only after coming in the door and who's after who's after using yesterday and has no idea what recovery is, if he walks in the door and hears recovered addict, you know, I just think that sets off the wrong wrong impression, and that's mm. just my personal opinion. Yeah, you I really you said wanted you... to get that out. You know that I've been I've been that. I think about that a lot and yeah. no one's ever asked me and it, it's something I've just wanted to say 
you know what I, I say it to my girlfriend all the, I say it to my girlfriend she's probably sick of hearing me saying it but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely something I did want to get out there like I'll always use the term recover an addict because you know then mm. people start using I'm a recovered from a hopeless state of mind but I'm not cured like why do you have to say recovered cured like why, why mm. do you use all these yeah, yeah. phrases you're an addict you are in recovery and you you know that's it that's that's the way i look at it i am going to be an addict for the rest of my life and have a have a game to terms with that mm. absolutely the, mm. like the only thing i can't do for the rest of my life is drinking drugs and that's two things out of billions of other <laughs> yeah, opportunities that are very out there. true <laughs> so so you know who's who's winning i i, I think well i hope yeah. i am <laughs> yeah you mentioned meetings there, uh, Connor. That's NA meetings, is it? Narcotic. Um, so yeah, I go to I go to all the fellowships. You know, uh, mm. oh, what's the, what there. what have those experiences been like for you? Some people yeah, no. it really works for them. Some people just cannot take to them, and the sooner they go along. But what is it that you find helps with the meetings? Uh, I I just find the fellowship is great. You know, mm. it's mm. it's people again, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 like minded people, people yeah. who don't judge. You know, people who accept you for who you are people who went through the exact same experience as you and all they want to do is put their hand out to help and that's why I love the meetings I love I love absolutely everyone in the meetings you know I don't think I've ever met a bad person in the meetings you know I don't ever think I've been talked down to in the meetings and stuff like that I just really find the meetings are a great place and I, I really truly do stand by that I, I do love them I do about I do about three three meetings a week. It's what I was told to do oh. in treatment. Do three meetings a week. So I do I do three to four meetings a week. I did go through a stage where I was only doing two a week. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that was my my own fault. But I do I always do meetings every single week and I will do them for the rest of my life. It's a huge commitment to your own uh, to your own recovery though. Uh, kind of, you know, make, making that and understanding this is what I need to do, this is what works for me, this is what I need to keep keep at. I mean, mm. the investment in yourself is huge to, to undertake all of that. Yeah, like that's the thing. As an addict, like it, it's a game of Russian roulette. You need <laughs> you need to uh take your recovery very very seriously and it needs mm. to be number one. And don't get me wrong, sometimes I can put things in front of my recovery. Like when it comes to work I can I can very quickly put work instead of recovery and I can often, you know, go from four meetings a week to two meetings a week and that's when I need to realise where I'm going wrong. But it's a commitment that I'm willing to make. Like it's what, what three or four meetings a week, it's four hours out of my out of my week, you know, mm-hmm. I, I link in with people, it's it's not a big it's not a big a big deal if if it's gonna save my life. Like if if I was told I had put it this way, if I was told I had cancer in the morning and they said take this take this shot three times a week and you're going to live, I'd do it. So that's <laughs> mm, that's right, what my meetings right. are like. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. go to your meetings three times a week and you're going to stay clean, you're going to live. Okay, doctor, that's no problem. We often compare um, looking after your mental health here as to, it's the same as going to the gym. You know, if you go to the gym, you work out, you'll build muscle, you lose weight, etc., etc. But it's the same with your, your mental health. You know, you mind your mental health, you will get better, you know. Well, mm. what, advice, what advice would you give to anyone in addiction or questioning if they're an addict or, you know, wanting to get out of addiction what what would your advice be to them kind of so if if you think you're an addict right if you think you can mm. go to the pub and you can have one drink and you can go home to bed you might be all right if you think yeah, you can go yeah. have two drinks and go home you might be all right but if you can go to the pub and say you're only going to have two or three drinks and then if you end up in someone else's house two days later still haven't went home that's when i think you might be an addict and that's just yeah. my point of view 
So yeah. if you really want to stop, you just have to start talking to someone and get get the help that is out there. And there's lo- plenty of places out there to get help, you know. Mm. And if if you are stuck in addiction, you know, the first thing to do is act now and start talking to someone. Start getting yourselves into a fellowship and into a meeting. And even if it's your first meeting, just go and sit there and listen and don't judge and just listen. Mm. Just listen and see. And you'll just notice, oh, wait, oh, yeah. Yeah. I went through that before. Oh, wait, I went through that before. Oh, wait, shit. I think I actually belong here. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's really how, how it worked out for me when I was when I was in uh, one of the meetings, like the meetings came into uh, treatment and I was just like, damn, I said, I can relate to that. Like, what the hell is did this? This is the spot for me. The nightclubs on a Friday night are gone. I'm coming here. <laughs> <laughs> another, or just another thing I'll say this that's beautiful yeah. about recovery. Like uh, you mentioned about parties and stuff and I was actually meant to just say a few quick words about it. Like if you think you're an addict, then, you know, you're too young right I'm 21 years of age I'm in recovery I don't do drinking two drugs I've been at parties I've been at 21st where people have been getting locked and I've seen them snorting and getting out of their head and mm-hmm. you think it bothers me I couldn't care less mm-hmm. you know I go and I have a great time with the boys and I go home I put the head on the pillow and that's it you know you can still get clean at a young age and have fun you know I wouldn't go to parties every weekend or anything like that but I'd go the odd time that there's something on that, you know, if someone I knew well, I'd, I'd go to it. I'd show my face and I'd go have a bit of crack. But, you yeah. know, just because you're getting clean from drinking drugs, all it limits is your your substance use. It doesn't limit your phone use. It doesn't limit anything mm. like that. It only limits the substances you can take. And that, for me, that's that's not really a big deal to save the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I've been yeah. to 21st. I've been to the parties. I've been to the pubs. And, you know... Uh, the thought to use and hasn't even phased me. Hmm. And is it important to know, Connor, that if you are in a situation like that, you can leave at any time? Uh, one thing, if like for me as an addict, yeah, if I'm going to a party, number one, I have an escape room. Mm. You know, mm. if I'm going, I'm bringing someone in recovery. It could be, it probably be my sponsor or someone else. It will be ringing them and saying, look, I'm going here to a party tonight. Just, want to let you know uh, I'll give you a buzz later on if I need anything and so other people like someone's aware aware of it you know yeah. because that's what all these people in recovery want to do is help you and then when I'm gone I'm like right before this was before I started driving like I was like right I'm going at this time I already have my lift home organised and, and that's it you know mm-hmm. that kind of way and then I went to one of my estate so it was like I'm going to go here for a couple of hours if I don't go around to my house I'm going to go get the bus home home to where I live now but I always, always make sure before I go, I have an escape plan because if we do start feeling a bit funny, I just, I just leave. That, that's it. I'm yeah. just gone. Yeah. And there's, there's, yeah, there's yeah. no risk taking. There's no acting like that. I am gone, and that's it. Mm. Fair play. Yeah. Some of the things Con- Connor was talking about there was, you know, some of the signs of addiction. Um, you know, if, if you go kind of like that, you know, you say you're, even if it's a drink or drugs, whatever it may be, that oh, I'm only going to have the two pints tonight. And as, as Connor said there, you're. You know, you're ending up back in a house party. That that inability to control how much you plan on using. You know, so you're you're drinking more or you're taking more than you planned on doing. Um, wanting to stop, not being able to stop. Um, the preoccupation with it. So if you're in work and you know all you're thinking about is getting out of work or getting to your lunch break to take a bump or do a mm-hmm. line or get home to do a few cans, stuff like that. Um, 
Basically, I, I've always said, uh, I can't really know better person to, to speak if it's true or not, that a kind of any addiction boils down to an inability to stop despite the negative effects on your life. Would, would you agree with that? I mean, you yeah, really like, had a heart attack and <laughs> everything else that went course. along with it and still continued. And like a lot of people know, like I have a little sister and like I can't describe how much the, the girl means to me. Like I love, mm. I love all my family the same, but you know, I, I really love my little sister. <laughs> I, I would literally go to the end of the world for her. Like I go to the world for any of my family, but you know, I have this special connection with my little sister. Like we have an amazing relationship and she, she couldn't even stop me using, you know, yeah. no matter what she said or what she done or looking at her and her, her saying like, I just want the old Connor back and stuff like that. Like that, that stuff, that stuff didn't phase me, you know, yeah. people yeah. coming to my door and knocking on my door for money with my mom when she was sick in the house. You know, none of that could stop me using. You know, and yeah, that that's that's addiction in a nutshell. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that that's the continued use despite the impact on any sort of relationship. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, when course, you're, yeah. you're not going to things because oh, there'll be no drugs there, or there's not going to be drink, or you're not going to be able to drink, or you know, again using again and again despite the physical effects, or despite the you know you're sacked from job and you're losing jobs and you're still using and um, the, the tolerance developing a tolerance then as well I'm sure for yourself Connery maybe started off doing maybe a little bump and then it was a you know a line or you know you said it was a Friday every week and then it was a Saturday and then it was a Saturday and a Sunday you know you and developed that tolerance too. for it yeah. I remember one client I had and for him his coke use had started as a kind of confidence booster you know just going in and being able to relax and getting I suppose with the drink the same as the Dutch courage you get from alcohol and for him it was you know it started out like that on the Saturday night go in have a little bump uh, give him give him that confidence and he said but then it ended up that it was you know five o'clock he was in his uh, kitchen on his own in the morning doing it and he was like oh shit this 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 isn't it now that change from yeah. the recreational use to just sitting at home in your own kitchen at five o'clock in the morning mm. doing a bag of coke like yeah, the, the addiction just wants to get you on your own and just yeah. keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. And you know what? <laughs> the drugs started stopped working for me a long time before I stopped using them. Like, I would yeah, sniff, yeah. like, you know, what, 30, 40, maybe 50 grams in a week at some stage, and I, it wouldn't do anything for me. Mm. It absolutely would not do anything for me. Like, it would just... It would just hurt my heart. That's all I do. I I take I take a big a big a big massive line, and then I hold my heart for about half an hour, thinking I was gonna die. And as soon as I felt better again, I would just go and do the same thing again. And this thing would happen for hours upon end, just lying in my bedroom. Wow. With the window wide open, just to get some fresh air, sweating, no clothes on. Just that's that's literally what it was like. Jeez. You mentioned uh, after coming out of um, uh, recovery, Connor. You what was it five months, and then you you got the call to say you've been uh, selected as part of Davies' toughest team. How did you get involved in that? Like, how did did you stick your name down somewhere, or did somebody suggest you? Or yeah, so where I where I went to uh, where I would go to counselling in Nice, like I said, uh, the Halo U project. I went there. Uh, it was about a week after I came out of treatment, and uh, I was talking to my drug counsellor just how I was getting on and stuff, and. Uh, the manager over there handed me a handed me a leaflet and was like, uh, "I'm gonna print this out and show it to you." And I just read it and it said, "RT uh, are looking for seven young lads to be a part of the TV show Davies Toughest Team, which is about life challenges and stuff like that." Mm. And send your five minute video to this WhatsApp number. 
And I did it and, you know, it just literally took off from there. A couple of weeks later, I was up in town doing an interview and then a couple of days later, I was collecting my little sister from school and I got the phone call to say I got picked. Wow. And uh, how did you find Davy Fitzgerald? You know, a lot of he, he divides a lot of people, but how did you find him? Uh, you know, the, the people who divides are only, I feel like, are only looking for a bad thing to say. Like, if you look at, if you look at the TV, like, what has the man done wrong? He's when he goes on to Ireland's fit, his families to help families get fit. He comes on to Davy's toughest team to help young lads get out of the position they're in. Like, what is there to to dislike about it? Yeah, I know there's stuff going on about the hurling and stuff, but that, that's his passion. He's doing what he loves. He's doing mm. stuff for other clubs like Wexford and stuff like that. Like, for me, you know, the critics are only for me. I feel the critics are only haters, and it's just jealousy of what he's done and what he's achieving, and that's just what I think because. If anyone looks at the show, like him and the lads didn't have to do that. Like Orty have never done something like this. It never had to be done. You know, he didn't have to sit there and he didn't have to get out of his comfort zone and deal with mm-hmm. seven young lads that he'd never dealt with in his whole entire life. And you know, the man, the man's pushing pushing past forty for definite. So you know, he he. <laughs> Hold on, there, Connor. I'm about to be fucking ancient. <laughs> I'm gonna be forties. You've hit it over with Alan. <laughs> uh, no, sir, I, I, my my awkward fucking moment is you know I might be just describing a client and like yeah, I had a young lad in here the other day. He's only like 23, 24 I'm like oh fuck, I'm describing young lads in their twenties as young lads. I'm I'm definitely old now. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, like that, that that fella is is amazing. He, mm. he really is. Like he he would spend hours talking when the camera's not on. Like and this this is when all the cameramen would be in bed. Like he'd sit up in the room, which in the sit room, and he just talk yeah. about his life and his experiences and give you advice. And he, I I don't have a bad word to say about him. Mm. No, I I really don't. And I I don't know why people do. Maybe there's stuff I don't know about. But for me, if you look at Ireland's with his families and you look at Davy's toughest team, like where can you find something bad to say about him realistically mm. well you can go to Tipperary there's plenty of bad <laughs> things to be said about him. <laughs> what has it been like since the TV series came out what was the what has the reaction from everyone been like yeah the reaction's been, been crazy like hundreds of messages like hundreds and it's just listening to people say you know you're an inspiration you've helped me change my life like that's wow. That's literally like that's literally like the petrol to a fire, you know. That that gives me, <laughs> yeah, that gives me the flames to keep going. And you know, I've heard some some amazing stories that have been said to me and stuff like that. You know, to be able to give back to people because what I have to remember is all the stuff I've gained now was given to me freely. You know, I didn't I didn't have to pay for any of it. It was all given to me by you know kind-hearted people that wanted to see me do well. So. Yeah. What I want to do is just be a coin-hearted person and see everyone else do well. And the reactions have been great. You know, I've been really, really happy with how the TV show has turned out, and you know, the response it got is it really is has been amazing. Like, brilliant. Um, did you have to be careful when you're on a reality TV program? Because I was on one once, Alan, one of my many jobs, <laughs> 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 and I remember the producers came into me. I was only a little small role, and uh, the producers came into me when I was working uh, because I work in radio, so uh, I was in a, a studio, and they came into me and said, "There's a client outside going to come into you. I want you to look at your watch and roll your eyes." 
because they're taking ages. And I went, uh, no, not a hope in hell because I would never do that to somebody. Man's going, ah, no, look, it's only a bit of crack, you know what I mean? But I knew they were going to edit it to make me look like I didn't want these people here. I was sick of them. Now, I never did it, thankfully, because, Jesus, I'd, I'd have to go to the boss and say, that wasn't me, <laughs> you know what I mean? But did you find you had to be a little bit careful or uh, what was your experience like with reality TV? Was it edited okay for you? Yeah, do you know what? Uh, that's the thing. People have asked this. You know, none of that was re-recorded and edited or anything like that. That was all... Well, obviously, it had to be, like, edited, like, different mm-hmm. parts. They can't put clean 40 hours of filming into four hours. Like, that's that's, a po- that's impossible. Yeah. But, like, it was never like, oh, say that again. Okay. Back in. It may be, like, if we were doing the just unpacking our bags, they'd be like, right, let's get you just unpacking your bags. Like, that type of thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right they're talking and doing that type just of stuff. Like, that's all, yeah. Yeah, mm. there was never, never any of that, like, oh, say this again or re-record Brilliant, that. Yeah. Like, you know, the only thing I had to watch for was my language. <laughs> that was it. Like, that's all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I had to, and you know what, I, I think I think I cursed, I think I only cursed once or twice in that TV show. I mm. genuinely do, because I, I don't, I don't really curse a lot, you know, that kind of way, I try, well, I try not to anyway, but, you know, all I felt I had to watch was, was my language, that was it. Mm. David and, didn't watch but, language, did he? Oh Jesus! He never, he never does, does he? There's one thing I will say though. There was a good group of us there, like between cameramen, soundmen, producers, mm. editors, all them. Like, of all the people, like I went in there thinking, like, oh, there's definitely gonna be a few now. You know, people I don't like stuck up their own ass. All this type mm-hmm. of stuff. I was thinking, you know, I can't say. Never mind the bad word about Davy. I cannot say a bad word about one person. Not not one of them people. Yeah, you know, for you'd wake up in the morning, and you'd be in the house, and you'd be walking down, and it's all, "How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you?" Of every single one of them, oh, like, brilliant. Not one, of, not one of them would rub you off the shoulder or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you'd be walking when we're walking up the mountain, they talk to you for the whole six hours, and you were walking up there. It was, yeah, it was really the most. It was like I never felt out of place. I never felt like I wasn't wanted. I never felt like any of them had anything against me. It was really just really, really comforting. Brilliant, great experience all around. So. Ah, oh, it definitely was. Mm. I loved. I loved. There was a season two. I don't know more. Team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what's uh, next for you, Connor? What, what's What's next in your life? So you know, right now, I'm just working. You know, I'm working in the warehouse up in Aldi. Just for the time being, I'm uh, trying to keep. I'm trying to keep like the money rolling in. You know, mm. I have personal loans for my family and stuff like that. I'm just trying to you know, keep chipping away at, and, you know, obviously with this virus and all that's going on, I can't afford to not be working, I can't yeah. afford to go doing doing a trade or doing some study because I need to keep the money rolling in, so, you know, that is my plan until the year's out to stay where I am, make my money and, you know, give my parents and stuff like that the money that I owe them and after that, you know, I'm strongly considering doing a trade and just, strongly considering going into cabinet making opening up a business and you know in a couple of years time and uh, starting to go in and do talks in secondary schools and stuff like that you know mm. it's it's something that I really want to do it's something that I hopefully will get done now when all this stuff is over like I just want to get in and you know start speaking in secondary schools and doing a presentation and sharing my story and you know I've, I've a girlfriend we live together and you know things things are going really well and things are going well in my family so 
you know, it's not a major for me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be flying to the Bahamas next week. I'm not gonna be winning the lot or anything like that just because <laughs> I have a story to tell, you know. Mm. All I'm doing is just putting one foot in front of the other and, you know, maintaining my recovery. It's incredible talking to you, Connor. Like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, if, <laughs> apart from the the voice, I'd swear I'm talking to a man of sixty who's been through so much. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, and you know how you know how together you have everything at twenty one. Like, geez, what was I doing at twenty one? Fuck, you're probably just out drinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, for for you to go through all this and be so self aware and. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I can't. I can't get over it. You know, and how clued in you are. Uh, would a career in I don't know, maybe counselling or something like that would it, would that be something that would appeal to you? Yeah. So it was strongly on my mind, but I just, you know, I really, really don't know what mm. I want to do. And that's like, there's no point in me sitting here and saying I do because I was strongly thinking of going into counselling, but then I was sort of like, you know, I enjoy helping people in all, but. Hmm. I just don't think that's what I want to like I will I want to do talks in schools now for a couple of years but I don't think I want to go doing counselling for you know for the foreseeable future I want hmm. to I'd like to go and you know I'm good very good with my hands like I was always good at work and you know I want to go out and do a trade and you know do a bit of travelling and do hmm. a bit of working and you know get my own business and that's and then doing my talks and stuff on the side that's that's hmm. you know what I want yeah. to do and you know, I know there's going to be plenty more opportunities that are going to pop up and, you know, there's some things that might catch my eye. So, you know, for now, I'm going to see this year out working in Aldi and, you know, getting financially stable and then I'm going to, I'm going to go from there. Brilliant. As, as they say in the fellowships, Connor, one day at a time. Yeah, that, that's that's all it is. Like, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, I, I've heard it. The, the world record for a day is 24 hours so that, that's all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well done Connor it's been absolutely incredible talking to you Jesus the, the well of information you are and everything you've been through is just, just amazing I'm, I'm sure you've been told that loads of times anyways you know I'm not the first person to do it nor will it be the last but it's been incredible and you know one thing we've noticed about this podcast when we do have anybody on is the reaction you get you know um, people who get in touch to say you know uh, we heard your episode on such and such or we're listening to this or this person that spoke to you and it changes their lives you know it yeah. literally changes their lives you know so thanks very much for being a part of that I'd just like to say um you know, on social media now, I just use my Instagram and I, I, I'm starting to put up weekly videos and quotes and tips and stuff just just to give people like this daily motivation. And, you know, I've actually Brilliant. had people text me saying that your quotes every day are, are really, really inspiring. They help me get up out of bed in the morning. Oh, so wow. if, if anyone does like is interested, you can find me on Instagram. It's just Connor mm. Harris underscore. And, like, if you want to just click onto my page and, you know, nearly every morning anyway it's been every morning for the last for the last week I've been putting up quotes and you know I posted a few one or two videos just a, like my first hand experience of my life because no psychologist they're no therapist but I can give first hand information of what I've been through so if, if it does help anyone then don't be afraid to check it out brilliant that's uh, Connor Harris underscore on Instagram <laughs> yeah that's it brilliant stuff so that was straight talking addiction we hope you like what you heard if you do give us a rating subscribe leave a comment or you think someone you'd know would benefit from this podcast by all means share it with them on your social media pages it could make a big big difference in their lives of course we'd love to hear from you wouldn't we Alan we would yeah Absolutely. if there's anything you want us to cover or discuss or if you've got a story 
story to tell we'd love to hear from you you can get in touch by email hello at stmhpodcast.com get us on twitter at SCRA Talking Pod. we're on Facebook and Instagram as well and a big shout out to Fiona Bryan for the podcast music what an amazing producer and beat maker get him on Facebook at FOB Beats Connor normally what I do is I fling Alan under the bus at the end of every episode and I get him to give us uh, maybe a word of inspiration or a quote or a mantra or something that uh, just reflects the episode you know is there something you live by there is one thing I always say it's what I always try to tell myself is that you know if I can go out today and be the best Connor Harris I can be you know that's all I need I don't I don't need to be anyone else I don't need to be someone famous I don't need to be a millionaire if I can be the best Connor Harris I can be and go to bed tonight knowing that I gave it my best effort that's all I need in life Mental health. The mind is a terrible thing to-